Bring it in. Friday, May 20th, and the whole gang is back together uh, right before Vito takes a well-deserved vacation, uh, which you might get into at the end of the pod. Excited for, for that for you, Vito. Scotty's here. Yeah. The whole crew got day one of the PGA Championship going on in Southern Hills, which I think I've decided is now my second favorite golf course in the world because it looks just spectacular. Uh, NBA Conference Finals going on. College football drama talking our first bit of college football since the national championship today, which will be exciting. And we're going to continue our top 10 position rankings with running backs at the end of the pod. So boys, we were just catching up a little bit because it's been a few weeks since we've all been together, Uh, but happy days. We're all here. How is everybody? I'm good, man. Um, You know, it's finally starting to warm up. So uh, I was working on my tan with a couple of beers in the driveway earlier. Well, nice, you've, you've been able to get outside. I've been stuck in quarantine for four days, but you know. Yeah, you probably, got that. You got the vid. Not anymore. Not tested, anymore. Tested You're negative. Good. Tested negative today. Love to I'm, hear it. I'm allowed to re-enter society. No longer deemed a social uh, pariah. You're not nice. shunned once. <laughs> <laughs> no, for I've been great too. I it's It's been a weird two weeks for me. So um, those of you listening to the pod know I'm, I'm kind of always on the go and traveling. So I've spent two full weeks in Philadelphia and like definitely on Tuesday this week or Wednesday, I was just like jonesing. I'm like, guys, I got to I got to make a move. I got to get on. I haven't been on a plane in two weeks. I haven't like let, like, this is weird. I don't know what to do. And it's so like, I, I've been going to the grocery store multiple times in the same state and city. And like, it's been awesome. Like I can, I, it's been, it's honestly been wonderful, but I'm getting jonesy. And, and yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm taking a little vacay next week, which I'm excited for get away from everything for a little bit and uh, and reset, which everyone needs after a while. I think, I think you're a, a addicted to traveling. That's a, I think yes. I think you've been. It's a it's a little bit like uh, what's the like the the thing that you fall like someone falls in love with the person that captures them. Yes, what's the first the, love? No, no, it's like but, a like, it's like a it's like a condition. Like oh, a mental, oh, you need a Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Except for you, the the <laughs> capture is, is is airplanes. <laughs> That's honestly a really good, I haven't been on a train either. It's been tough. Yeah, you're right. Um, no, but it's, it's been, it's been good. Good to be, I'm glad to be here. Glad to, glad to be on the pod with you boys. It's been, uh, it's been fun getting my coverage from the guys who I love. So that's, that makes it easier to, to catch up on some stuff. So it's been good. Well, there's been a lot going on. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. to, How about them warriors, right? Well, yeah. The both home teams winning in the conference uh, finals. And that's probably we're going to end up starting with, but uh, yeah, just a lot going on. I mean, since the NFL draft, i usually feels like you hit the NFL draft and then things start to kind of settle down. Uh, there's always college football drama all time day. The last like 24 hours, honestly, in college football with just this league kind of content. Um, and now we got a, a major, I still, this is the second year in a row where we've had the major, this, the PGA championship, instead of it being in July, like it normally is, they move it up to May, which is just, it smooths out that schedule so much better. Uh, and then we've had and NHL major every month. It, it's phenomenal. starting in April. Yeah. Um, and then we have, you know, NHL playoffs, which have been electric, the Calgary flames putting in nine goals after being down five, one yesterday. How about yeah. that for a little hockey talk on this podcast? Not something we normally do, but like when you see that, oh, you betcha, like, eh? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you got 15 goals in a playoff game. Uh, it's a whole Who different had that world. over? Seriously. <laughs> you have, would hate to be the guy at the water cooler who bet the under on that one. Am I right, boys? Yeah. You know? Um, but, no, it's just been a lot going on here. And um, lots of fun stuff. As we stand right now, the first round is still underway. Rory McIlroy with just an unbelievable first round this morning. Tiger Woods playing. Started off hot. Uh, and then not so hot the rest of the day. But we'll get into that stuff later on in the podcast. Uh, we're going to start with the NBA Conference Finals. Um, game one of Bucks, sorry, Bucks, Jesus, of Celtics Heat was on Tuesday night. Uh, and the Boston Celtics looked like they were going to sweep this series with how well they came out in the first half. And quickly in the third quarter, after a 22-2 run, uh, the Miami Heat took that game over and, uh, and, and stole – he didn't even say stole, but took back game one after the, the Celtics. Now it's worth noting the Celtics were without Marcus Smart and Al Horford after uh, Al Horford tested positive for COVID. Uh, and Marcus Smart's still dealing with a foot injury. Uh, but as it turns out, both home teams won game one, Miami and uh, Golden State. I'm curious, because Scotty, you and I have talked a bunch about this. Vito, we know you are the casual basketball fan but since you are actually and you have been in one place have you been able to follow basketball a little bit closely a little more closely over the last couple weeks compared to uh maybe years and and weeks past when you're just constantly on the move honestly not not as not even as much as when i'm on the move for Hmm. some and i think that had to do again with and if and if those of you listen know like i'm a semi sixers fan being in philadelphia right now i'm obviously a warriors fan because of clay thompson going to my high school and um, I think the Sixers with the Embiid injury and everything that kind of dampened, right. What was going on in, in that series. And I think everyone was, I was really excited for that one. And, and you called it way back. Like, Hey, I don't think the Sixers have enough for the heat, you know? And, yeah. and unfortunately you were right. Um, I did start to believe after games three and four though. Did you? And that was the problem. Yeah. Well, how could you yeah. not? I mean, I mean, yeah, obviously. But the thing <laughs> is, is that you call it before the series. So I stick with that. I mean, you could, there you know, you things sway. I'll, I'll give you the credit. That definitely rounds up my book. So, and then, and then Boston winning in game seven decisively. I think that I did catch that one. And then obviously the, the Warriors, um, you know, taking it in six and, and Dallas. Like, I, I think Dallas beating the Suns, that for me was the shocker. And I know they, they basically had two back-to-back blowouts in game six and seven. So for me, that was the biggest surpriser. Now I watched, I watched that game seven um, and I was really excited to see what was going to happen. Cause I was honestly, Scotty, I was worried for our warriors going into game one and, and then we end up with a blowout. So like, I mean, this is, this is a little crazy. Um, you know, in my mind, I think leading up to the conference finals, it was like, there are some interesting matchups, some not, but, now we're locked in. Now we have right a game every other night. It's either the East or the West uh, in terms of conference finals. And that it, this is what's great. You have now intense playoff basketball. The winner of these series makes it, you know, to the finals. And these are where you get those those moments. I feel like even more so than the last few rounds of instant playmakers that that are making historic shots at the end of games and can turn a series with a late game late game miraculous moment it's been exciting um it's been weird i mean the the phoenix and and, and we talked pretty in depth about this on, yeah. on tuesday's pod the the phoenix and dallas series as a whole is just bizarre and i you know I do want to take a moment too. by the way, I, I don't know how much you guys follow the Pat Beverly stuff when he went on to ESPN. Um, yeah, that dude is such a clown. 
He's such a fucking clown. And I don't understand why we're in this. And maybe you guys can help me process this. I don't get why being a hater is now a cool thing. Because the amount of people who are like, Pat Bev speaking out for all the haters, you know, shout out to all the haters, you know, but not in the way where it's like, yeah, let's say that. And you'd be like, no, like we're saying this as like, no, fuck the haters because you gave me like, it's like, I didn't realize Chris Paul had this many people who just flat out hated him or whether or not they just drool over the excitement of somebody coming out there and telling it like it is. But the thing is, it's like Pat Bev is a borderline sixth man bench player on a on a good team, you know, and a starter on a really bad team. Um, He had a couple of decent moments, but there was just so many like JJ Reddick just kept taking him to task and take, like if you watched any of the stuff from him on get up and first take and all the other stuff, JJ Reddick just kept putting him in a body bag. And yet all anybody talked about was like Pat Bev out there talking his shit. I can't get enough of this drama. And maybe I'm just like, that's not why I watch sports is not for the, all this Pat Bev, this league bullshit. (laughs) I'm more of just like uh, Chris Paul is one of the best players of all time. And you're sitting there pretending like he's not because because you two had beef and it's just so clearly biased. It's like this guy, if you think his opinion is at all objective and he called the the Lakers championship in the bubble, a, a bubble championship, a fraudulent championship. And there's it no was. shocker that he did that because his team also blew a three, one lead in the bubble against the Dallas Mavericks. You know that, Oh yeah, no, that has nothing to do with it at all. Pat Bev, right. It's just Pat Bev is a clown. We need to make sure he does not get airtime. But why are we so obsessed with guys like that? Like Draymond's awesome. When Draymond comes on, he will talk shit, but he also, A, can back it up. And B, also gives real analysis on top of it. Pat Bev is just out there yapping like a fucking chihuahua that needs a muzzle. Like, I I can't, I'm, I didn't get it at all. And honestly, the more I saw about it, the more it pissed me off. And luckily, he ended up stepping in it the next day when they brought him back because it's so clear that he has no idea what he's fucking talking about as an analyst. He just wants to go out there and talk shit. Well, and, and well, it, go ahead, Scotty. It's it's guys like like Draymond that have the the platform, right? They these guys, Andre Iguodala does it too, or has it too. They're all rushing to this media money, uh, where they can have their own platform and and do their own thing without fear of ESPN or Fox or or, or anyone else, NBC, any other major sporting outlet, <clears throat> telling them that that they're wrong uh or or bring not bringing them on to to give their side which is great in a way because like you said guys like draymond can back it up he can go on his podcast and say yeah i i might not be able to go for for 15 10 and 10 anymore but guess what i'm gonna shut your ass down on defense and here's why and he can go out and talk about it on his podcast right it's not it's not something that like uh that uh that is out of you know (laughs) out of bounds for them anymore. And so now you have all this easy platform and guys are rushing to this media money. Well, Hey, here's a guy who uh, is on a, uh, like you said, Jeff on a good team, no longer in the playoffs. Uh, Why don't we have him go out and talk about it and give his perspective? Well, not only that, but someone who's a known hothead, like someone who's a known shit talker. Right. And, And it's, it's not like, but he has no actual, he's got no credibility the amount of times chris paul has cooked him in his career and they were teammates when in, in the last couple of years when he played in la like i don't know man i just i don't get the pat bev stuff at all and i don't get why people like it i mean i guess i can kind of get it it's the same reason why people like reality tv um but i i don't know like it just 
it's like, you know, it's all fake. You know that like he's being completely disingenuous and yet people still eat it up. And for whatever reason, like in my brain, I just go like, well, why does anyone care? Yeah, it's, I, it's, it translates into entertainment rather than actual commentary on basketball because exactly that it really gets away from the point. So I, I really, uh, I, I'm the casual fan. I don't know. So I started looking up some stats. And there's a website called StatMuse that has a defensive rating, right, of players. And Beverly's defensive rating is like 110. Chris Paul's 106. Draymond's 102. Like, I don't know how these are even rated, but the point is, is that he's right in line with all these guys that are like, that he's like, oh, he's a cone, right? He just stands still. And it's like, dude, I don't know. First of all, I've watched some games, not, not a ton, but I've watched enough to know that Chris Paul is um, at the elder side of his career. We all know that. And he's still giving 110% on both sides of the floor. Like that guy gives a shit. So effort alone will get you so far in the NBA. Um, And that's what he's talking about, right? You could be the greatest player ever. And he's saying you stand still after a move. No one. No, I'm calling bullshit right there. Right. Because Pat Bev, this guy's a hall of fame person and player. And, and he's going to give 100% no matter what. So I'm calling bullshit. And to your, to your point about why it's getting so much play, I, I think a lot of people in general who are like Chris Paul haters, anytime you get a chance to like jump out or even semi Chris Paul haters are like, yeah, get them. And it's like, do you even know what you're talking about? Probably not. There's a lot of, I think, negative energy out there. You guys both know I'm not one of those people. I don't think any of us are really. And, and if you live your life that way, it goes back to what you said, Jeff, a long time ago about sports uh, a couple months ago, where it's like, you know what, just just enjoy what you're seeing and enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying Chris Paul's defense, guess what? I'm guessing there's seven or eight other things to focus on in a Suns game besides Chris Paul's goddamn defense. So you're probably watching the wrong shit. Yeah, it's him missing every shot. Oh, shut up, Scott. <laughs> Scott's still bitter because he played for the Clippers, you know, like six years ago. Uh, Um, Do it in the playoffs. So, so here's the other thing too, right? I think there need. I think there's a line in between because I hate it when players like you never played the game. You're not allowed to talk about. I think that's real. I think that is dumb. I I think you can absolutely have an opinion, talk about the game without having played it, right? But I also think there's a line on the other extreme where it's like you didn't play the game. So like maybe give a certain level of credence. And I think a lot of people who dump on Chris Paul or, or shit on LeBron or any of the big time guys, when they have flame out, same thing with like Barkley in his career, like Barkley never won a title. You know, does that mean that Barkley should get extra slander or should be put in that group of guys who never won? Therefore they're lesser than like, there is truth. Like, yeah, he doesn't yeah, have the ring. I love when MJ goes off and says some stuff like he yeah. doesn't like Oprah, you know I think it's so MJ funny. can say that. Right. You know MJ is different though. <laughs> Johnny 027 weird face emoji <laughs> on Twitter. That guy isn't allowed to say fucking shit, you know? And again, you can criticize, but only is it, but only if you also recognize the greatness with it. Chris Paul can retire having never won a championship and Chris Paul will still be a top five point guard of all time. Right. Charles Barkley never won a championship. He's still a top 10 small forward. He's a top 20 player of all time. Like both of those things can be true. And so you're allowed to criticize the championships as long as you also respect how great they were as well. And that's what I think we're in this like it's either all or nothing. That's that's this world that we live in in sports talk and, and, and sports media. It's all or nothing. And you have the guys like pardon my take who do it like from a 
you know, ironic satirical standpoint. Yeah. And now, and, and they make fun of it, but they also are like, yeah, but no, like, we're not stupid. We do know how good he is. But most of the fans just like that just gives them more of a runway to just say really, really stupid shit. And, and to me, like, I don't know, like I, it's not a, it's not golf. It's not tennis, right? You can't be one of the greatest tennis players of all time and have, and never have won a major, you know, you can't be one of the best golfers of all time having never won a major, right? Cause it's a singular sport. Right. But if we're talking about basketball, football, any of these sports, you can be like Dan Marino, one of the best of all time and having never won, you know, you can be in that conversation still. And yet we like to boil it down to championships or not. And to me, I think that's disrespectful to the game. And honestly, I, I, I don't find it interesting. I think those people are stupid and lack the ability to critically think. So why does it bother me so much? Maybe that's what it comes down to. Um, the two games themselves, uh, Boston, again, comes out blazing hot start. Uh, without two of their starters, but Robert Williams flying around, blocking shots, getting rebounds, playing great defense. Uh, Jason Tatum getting to the bucket. Jalen Brown didn't have a great game, uh, but hit some shots late that kind of, you know, kind of balanced this, this box score a little bit. So if you look at it afterwards, you're like, oh, no, it actually – no, Jalen Brown had a bad game. Uh, and then they had to play Derek White, which, like, when Derek White's your starting point guard instead of Marcus Smart, which no one – there isn't really a natural point guard on the Celtics, which I think – could end up hurting them in this series. But for both of these series, I want to say this too, both the East and West Conference Finals, don't read too much into game one. All right, game one, both teams, right? There were Dallas coming off a seven-game series, Boston coming off a seven-game series. Miami gets it at home. They haven't lost at home in the playoffs. Golden State gets it at home. They get some extra rest, rest for Steph and Clay. And haven't lost in the, um, at home in the playoffs either. And haven't lost at home in the playoffs either, right? Um, yeah. But again, one of the big, you know, issues that we run into when you're talking about the NBA playoffs in particular is game one's a blowout and you go, oh, this series is over. The <laughs> series is going to be done. And like, honestly, I still feel like Boston and Dallas, I still think Boston wins the series. And I think there's a good chance Dallas wins the series. I'm less confident on Dallas because of the defense that Golden State was playing and their ability to swarm around the just Luca, whoever had the ball, honestly, like. Luca didn't play great. He played amazing in the first half, but the defense from Golden State, the run they went on, they can just put it on you so fast. Uh, and same thing with Miami. Like both Miami and Golden State are these teams of runs where they just they can put so much points on you so quickly because of the three point shooting. I feel better about Golden State in that as well because we're talking about like Steph and Clay. Even Jordan Poole's done some stuff on the road. Whereas like you look at the home and away splits for Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, the two undrafted guys for Miami. Um, they don't shoot the ball well on the road, and Boston's going to be a really tough place to play. I think Boston goes in tonight. Again, we're recording this before game two of, of Boston-Miami. Mm -hmm. I think Boston goes in tonight. It looks like Horford has a good chance of playing. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Scotty, big takeaways from game one of Boston and Miami. And, and how who did you have winning the series going in? I know you picked Boston to win game one. Um, but who do, how do you feel now? Has, has your mindset changed? I, I think I have Boston – uh, to win the series going in, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip flop. Actually, I think Miami's gonna win because Jimmy Butler is that dude. Like yeah. Jimmy Butler is nasty, and he's nobody's been talking about it. We, I, I saw on several outlets, uh, you know, after the the second round was over. Well, who were the the top five players left in the in the uh, in the conference finals? Uh, Luca, Steph. Uh, okay, uh, Jalen Brown or uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown's on the list. Not a one of them had Jimmy Butler in the top five. Oh. I would have him in the top two 
right now. He's he's one of the best players remaining in this playoffs. He's doing it at both ends of the floor. And like I said, we, we talked about it the other day. His if he's if he continues to to shoot as well as he does he has in the playoffs, he's he's uh right around I think he was about uh fifty four percent from three or fifty six percent from the field, excuse me, sorry, correction. Um like he's getting what he wants and he's he's propelling that team on offense and then on defense, they're already a stout unit, right? Especially with Autobio in there. Um, and then the the key for them is, are they going to be the three-point shooting team, the, the best three-point shooting team in the league as they were during the regular season? And if they're on and if, and if Butler's cooking them up, then <laughs> dude, there, there is no stopping them. I, I do think their defense keeps them in it and, and Butler and, and some key shots and home home court, I think is going to play, a critical role here, but because uh, I do think it goes, uh, I, I do think it goes the distance. But uh, I, <laughs> if they can get those shots at home, in particular, it's 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 going to be a hard fought uh, victory for Miami. Jimmy Butler has been spectacular, and you just go back to the last two games against Philly. You know, forty yeah. and forty in those last two games. Um, Jimmy Butler looks great, but he also had Derek White on him a lot of the game. Um, they did a really good job of switching offense, you know, just forcing Boston to switch, getting the matchups that they wanted. And the one thing Jimmy Butler has been lights out in has been his mid range game. Uh, it feels like anytime fade away, pull up, you know, off rebounds, anything he's hitting in the mid range has been great. Uh, Boston was really sloppy with the ball in, especially in the second half against Miami. And you can't do that against Miami, uh, especially in their place. Because when, again, when they're at home, whether it's Tyler hero, Max Strews uh, or, or Gabe Vince. I mean, Gabe Vincent putting in what's what do you have 17 in game two in game one. Um, I mean, like when you're getting role players like that, just splashing in from three, it, it makes it really difficult. Uh, they also look exceptionally better without Kyle Lowry on the floor. And I think with him being banged up, they're kind of just like, Hey, Kyle, you know, we, I know we brought you in to do this, but another guy who's old, who's beaten up, like they're a better team without Kyle Lowry on the floor. And, I think as long as they're starting this lineup and you have a guy like Tyler Hero coming in off the bench, they're really hard to, you know, to beat. They're really hard to defend. But I do think the difference is like that there was a lack of fight back in Boston in that game, which I think Marcus Smart would make a big difference. And we I've made it, I've said on this spot before, I'm not a huge Marcus Smart fan as a whole, but what he does have is he has that same thing with as Draymond, right? He's he's that that masculine energy right he's that testosterone that that kicks in when they need it and when they were going you know when when Miami comes out and goes on that big run and all of a sudden what was a a basically tied game back and forth well I guess Boston was up at halftime all of a sudden Miami closes the gap they jump ahead Marcus Smart's the dude is like once they close the gap he's he's like resetting everything and then defensively too that's a guy that you can match up with on Jimmy Butler, who's just going to be in his face at all times. And I think not having Marcus Smart in game one hurt them a lot. Uh, and I think he's a, a really good matchup for Boston to have against um, Jimmy Butler. Or if, and if not that, then you have to put Jason Tatum on him at all times. Like you just, you have to do that matchup. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like tonight. And again, for those of you listening, it'll be last night uh, that Al Horford apparently is available mm-hmm. for Boston tonight. There we go. For us. Um, do you think that has a swing and who, who do you guys quickly pick, I guess, for this game that everyone can tomorrow either make fun of us or, or cheer us on if we're right or wrong? I think Boston wins game two. 
Uh, I do. I mean, the one the one encouraging thing was when you looked at the first half there, uh, Jason Tatum was dominating that game. Jason Tatum as both a ball handler, as being basically the lead ball handler for them, which is not the, his best. He had to kind of like we talk about Devin Booker sometimes would have to like when Chris Paul was out or it would just be like he would kind of have to take over that point guard role. They kind of asked Jason Tatum to do that because they don't really have any great ball handlers on Boston and, and Jalen Brown's a terrible ball handler. Um, so I think Jason Tatum as, as a shooter, as a scorer, was able to do a lot in the first half. I think they'll be able to get back to that. And I think the addition of Horford and just both offensively and defensively, uh, the switchability, they'll be able to play him and Robert Williams on the floor together at the same time, which defensively makes them a lot harder to defend and should help them dominate both the offensive and defensive class. Uh, Marcus Smart, I still think, is the biggest key, but Jason Tatum should be up for the challenge. I like Boston in game two. Yeah, same. <clears throat> I mean, Boston, it's a Boston reset. also dropped game one in uh, almost dropped game one against Brooklyn and lost game one pretty bad against uh, Milwaukee. And they've been able to bounce back. And, and I like them to do that. Sorry, Scotty. Yeah. Keep going. No, you're good. It's a reset game for them. Right. And, and it, you saw it made a difference uh, without Al Horford and Marcus smart on the floor. Right. At times they look lost on defense, which is for the fourth best team in the league defensively. Uh, it, it, you haven't seen that all year long. Uh, particularly in the second half and particu- particularly in the playoffs. So uh, I think it's a reset game. <clears throat> they, they did do a good job, and, and I'll touch on this when we talk about the, the Golden State game. Uh, they did do a good job of getting their shots. They just they weren't hitting them, right, mm. um, which is a lot of what Dallas did. Uh, and so I think, I think it's a reset game for them, um, but uh, a tight one, uh, I, I think. I, yeah, I'll, stay, I'll stick with Boston. Uh, to See, win this game and uh, even it up on the road. I'm going to go heat just for the fact of, I think home court stands through both these games, um, yeah. these game twos and, and it could easily switch, but I think there's nothing wrong. I, I do like, there's something about the NBA. I do miss when it was two, three and two, like, you know, where it was two home games for one team, three for the other than two at, at the end. Hmm. Um, I, th- because now it's the two, two, one, one, one. And yeah. I think that like that middle three game stretch was such a disadvantage for the home court team. Like the team that lost home court really had a hard time to win three in a row at home, in my opinion. Um, but three in a I'm row also on the, the road. The well, team who had, cause the team with yes. home court, I meant so the team who didn't have games, home court, then, then you're fucked. So yeah, that's why. You, yeah. Cause I hate that. If I'm just, I, if I'm but, just and, being honest. And so I, I know. And I, and I guess this may go back to me just being a travel junkie and want more flights in there or whatever it is, but like uh, to make it more even, but either way uh, I think, I think that, um, you know, heat win um, and, and, and just really, I, I think Al Horford will make a difference. I just, I don't know if Tatum's going to be able to do enough. I know he can, it's just to guess whether he will or not. Right. And it's, yeah. it's a crap shoot at this it's, point. You're there. Yeah. Everyone's a great player. Everyone's on a great team and it's just, it's really fun to watch this version of basketball. So if you're like me, a casual fan, make sure you flip this on uh, when you're listening. Uh, you know, the Warriors game is tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you get them basketball on this whole weekend. It's going to be a great time for yeah. some, some conference championships. Yeah, and for sure. I think it's worth noting, note- too, Boston won three out of the four quarters against uh, Miami mm-hmm. in that game. Right. And they definitely won the first half. Uh, you know, Miami came out and dominated that third quarter like by so much that it didn't matter. It's crazy. Um, but I, I do I do think that's at least worth noting here that I, I, I think Boston, I think Jason Tatum's the best player in this series. And, and 
Jimmy Butler is the best player on the floor in game one, but I still think Jason Tatum's the best player in the series. Uh, Golden State, Dallas, game one. Uh, when you watch the first half of that game, both teams great. both teams were terrible from, from three. Both teams missed. I think at one point there was like 12 missed free throws in the first half. Um, Steph and Clay were combined. I think they had a combined four points in the first half. Yeah. It was it was rough. Um, Clay Clay had one layup on a breakaway, and I in my head I'm sitting here watching, being like Clay's going to start pouring it in, and he did. He started. I think he finished with like 17 in the in the game. Um, and I had Clay. I had the Clay Thompson or Clay Thompson under, which was like 19 and a half, and he had zero points at halftime. And I'm like, I feel good about it, but with Clay, you can never you never know. You you absolutely yeah. never know. Um, the, the, I said this a little bit when we were talking about it, but I. I still think Dallas has a good chance. Dallas had a ton of open looks and they were ice cold from three. I think it might be just a little bit of nerves in that first, you know, especially in that arena with those fans. Um, but Steph in the second half took control of the game. Um, but I'll say this, I'll, I'll just straight up. I don't, I don't think this series is as lopsided as game one was. And I still think Luke is the best player in this series. And I still think Luke is absolutely going to come in in game two and tie this up on Friday night. Um, so that's kind of just where I'm leaning right now. I just – the one thing that concerns me was the defense that Golden State played against Luka, particularly in the second half, was really impressive. It also looked like Luka kind of was pretty gassed. The league got big, and it looked like he kind of – I don't want to say checked out, but it was kind of like, a, all right, we're probably not getting back in this game. Uh, and, and at that point, you know, when Golden State starts getting hot – the other thing, too, is when Andrew Wiggins is scoring 20-plus for you, they become a really hard team to beat, and – Knowing Andrew Wiggins and his trajectory throughout his entire career, there's no way he's doing that again in game two. There's just no way. You might get one or two of those games in this series. Andrew Wiggins is not a dude who you can rely on to score 20-plus in a playoff series. And the shooters that Dallas has are not going to stay cold the, the way that did in game one. So uh, I think Dallas ends up winning game two. I still think Luke is the best player. Uh, because the thing is, too, is if those shots were falling for Dallas – Golden State wouldn't have – the early shots, like the open shots they were getting in the first half, Golden State wouldn't have been able to play the defense that they were playing against Luka because they wouldn't be able to leave those guys as wide open as they were. And this is also a Dallas team that went down 2-0 against Phoenix, losing both games in Phoenix pretty handily, and then came back to win the series pretty dominantly. So I'm not – at this point, I'm not quitting on Luka or Dallas, and I think anyone who does is, is being very premature in reading this series. I'm not quitting on him, but I do think there, there's a more important stat to me. And it's that seven players on the Warriors scored 10 points or more. Mm-hmm. Seven. That's crazy. Like, that's why in the, in the conference finals. I mean, listen, I've watched enough basketball over my lifetime to know that that is spreading the ball around. That is making sure that all your players are being dangerous. And the highest score, um, I'm double checking here now, but I'm pretty sure the highest score point was, yeah, Steph Curry with 21. So, I mean, and they you were had, mostly all in the second half. Yeah. And, and, and Clay with 15, like you had mentioned, Jeff, like all, all coming late. And so I do love the fact that um, they have a lot of different players that can make something happen, as well as uh, a team that has been through this situation before a lot. And that's where I'm just kind of leaning on them. Again, I, I personally think home court kind of stays chalk wins almost if, if you kind of follow that rhythm and, and just uh, let both these home teams kind of, I'm picking them to just hold on to it and let's see what happens when, when you start making some flights. Yeah. I, the one thing that does worry me is, is the amount of shots that they were getting. 
uh, with the way that, that Luca was able to distribute the ball. What I am happy with on defense is the fact that uh, not only was Wiggins able to stay in front of him the whole night, uh, or most of the night anyway, uh, but when they did switch, it was uh, it was a switch on to Kevon Looney, who I'm cool with letting him guard Luca on the perimeter. Uh, Looney is up to the task of that. I would not feel good about that. Well, I do. And, <laughs> and look, it, and if it's not Looney, it's, it's Clay Thompson. Uh, okay. And I'm okay with that too. Uh, and so, so those switches don't bother me as much. Um, um, and then, you know, it, where they did have some success and get open is where they're switching on to uh, uh, whoever's, whoever's with Steph is switch is making the screen and they're, and they're switch. Uh, Steph has to switch on to Luca and that's where they, the Warriors get in trouble on defense with, with Luca Doncic. So, uh, and, and again, triple threat, he can pass from the perimeter, he can drive or he can shoot, uh, over top. Uh, but I don't think that, that, uh, that they're going to miss the shots that they did. I mean, they had some wide open shots, uh, guys like Dinwiddie and, and Jalen Brunson and, uh, and, uh, Bullock had, had some wide open shots, uh, that are going to fall. Right. And, um, I, I think though at home, particularly that, that place, when the energy gets going in the crowd, um, is when the Warriors start to get on runs. Uh, no question. The, the other, the other big thing with the Warriors is, uh, you know, I can live with the turnovers that they made. I think they had 15 turn total turnovers, which is actually one of the lower <laughs> ends of the scale uh, for the season. But uh, it's it's the careless stuff that leads to points uh, off the turnovers. I think in the in the first half, the Mavericks had, uh, I think they had 11 points off of turnovers uh, in the first half, and then after that. Uh, it, it was in single digits. So uh, if they can limit the damage on turnovers and not make careless mistakes uh, and, and be able to make, you know, play defense off of their turnovers or give themselves a chance to, uh, then, then you'll see some, some, a greater amount of success there on the, on the defensive end as well. Well, and golden state is notorious since the run started in 2015 golden's the highest in the league in turnover rate that the Warriors have finished was 26th, right? So they've never been outside of the bottom five in the league in turnovers. They yeah. just played at such a high pace and they made so many of their shots that it didn't necessarily matter. I, I'll be honest with you, like, it wasn't the switches that helped their defense against Luka. It, 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 like, anytime they got man-to-man -man with Luka, Luka was beating them. Particularly, yeah. he, he had 18 points in the first half. He could have had more if he just made a couple of fouls. But he shots. also went on a four-minute stretch that he didn't score but in the first the, half. So, the, the, for, for sure. But the difference was it wasn't the man-to-man -man action. It was the help defense. Mm -hmm. It was any time he was driving to the lane, Draymond was playing that free safety role where he'd leave his man and they'd leave an open shooter. And because those guys weren't knocking down their shots – that help defense was putting Luca in a lot of trouble where he was still getting these unbelievable passes out to guys where they were getting wide open looks. No one on Dallas was making them. And the second that those guys start making them, that help defense isn't going to be there. And Luca's going to be able to take Kevon, Kevon Looney against Luca Doncic. You don't want that. You don't want anyone on that team playing one-on-one -on -one with Luca because no one can play one-on-one. -on -one. I give them credit that the guys who did busted their ass off and the help defense was unbelievable <laughs> by Golden State in that game. But again, you can't do that if Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleba and Bertans and all these guys are making their threes. They went 11 of 48 from three in that game. Like they shot 22% from three. That's not going to be enough for them 
to compete in the series. But I also but don't anticipate that they're going to shoot it at that bad of a clip for the rest of the series. It's, it's all volume. They shoot like the, the Rockets did with Chris Paul and, and, and James Harden, right? It was like, just get the ball up. Doesn't matter how many times you shoot the ball. It, you're, you're good enough shooters that they're bound to go in, right? So that's, well, that's how the mass play. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's, it's isolation ball. Right. They're, they're going to spread out and they're going to let either Jalen Brunson or Luca go one on one. And they're going to let the help defense come when they drive. If, if Luca can hit a floater, can get to the rim and get fouled or hit a step back, he's going to take it. And if not, once the help defense comes in, he's going to kick it out. Right. Because Luca's just like James Harden was a little bit, is that good and is, is able to do that. Do I think that the Warriors have what it takes to beat them? Sure. I, I no question. Um, but I just I wouldn't bank on those role players not hitting their threes for the rest of the series. And then, and then the the third key I had was the pace. Like the Warriors have to dictate the pace this entire series, uh, because they they did it in all of game one. They played fast. They were unbelievable in transition, and and when they get out and run, uh, they they tend to to outrun the the Mavericks players. The only problem I have is going to be. Uh, Kevon Looney played uh, how many minutes in this game? It was probably up over 30, 32. Uh, 28. Uh, and he he was okay, but he but, was But gassed. he also, they were up so much that they were able it was, to, he didn't have to play much in the fourth quarter. It was a hard 28 minutes and he was mm-hmm. gassed. So I think you're going to see guys coming in and thank God they got some time at the in the in the uh, in garbage time here. I think you're going to see guys like Kaminga come in. Uh, yeah. Bielitsa, who did an unbelievable job on both ends of the floor against Jokic in uh, in the first round. Uh, guys like that who who can step in and and say, hey, come on, you've played great all night. Uh, why don't you take a breather, buddy? And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll well, take care of Luca. Both, both teams like to play at a high pace, and both teams want to put up a lot of threes. And that's going to be a lot of, of what what dictates this series is who's making their threes. And, and similar to that, like Otto Porter Jr. having 10 points off the bench is is huge. Like you're not going to get that most of the time. Jordan Poole had a, a fantastic – Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney, and Andrew Wiggins carried them through the first half. And that goes back to what we talked about in the last series and what we talk about in the playoffs every year. Role players play better at home, and they play worse on the road. And so when you're getting nights where Otto Porter's putting in 10 and he's shooting five to seven from the field and they're all basically mid-range jumpers, uh, like, yeah, you're going to do a lot better. Um, and he did that with a sore foot. So we'll see. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. Come back. We're going to hit on some college football talk, some drama between two of the most prominent coaches in college football, as well as uh, NIL close to a year in and a new conference championship rule that will affect the Pac-12. And hopefully will start to affect some other conferences after that and our top 10 running backs in the NFL right now. So all that coming after the break. Boys, is it ever too early to talk about college football? I, no, it's never too early, never too late. I, well, I don't even know what this all means. You've seen my my uh, my scale, my chart I drew the other day for you guys. It's uh, yeah. the the number of Penn State losses uh, in a, in any given season directly correlates with the number of months of, of which I no, no longer pay attention to college football, uh, and so we hit that that threshold in may with the five penn state losses this year so i'm missing yeah. it and i'm i'm dying to get back into it hit me what do you guys well, well, I, I'm, real quick just not gonna lie i i have to say i've uh i've been playing ncaa 14 nightly i'm now in the year 2024 hey. um hey. i i am so far in a, in a career um, how many natties uh so i have six natties i'm now at ecu uh eastern carolina university just just uh getting oh, it pirates going. yeah go pirates they have I, fun fact 
their like student section, which I was in charge of Penn State's for a couple of years. So I, I love student sections. It's called the Boneyard, which I fucking love. Like the Pirates, the Boneyard. I'm all in on ECU. Uh, anyway, point is, is I've been I've been I've been in private missing NCAA football so much where I'm at the point again where I told you guys I'm sleeping with the football like most of the time, just cuddled up with a football. Uh, I That's love funny. It. ECU is kind of like the uh, the drunk estranged cousin that you're like to JMU that like we don't really talk about because it's the <laughs> same it's the same colors but it's like even trashier than JMU. Um, yeah, I, I took a couple trips club baseball had some matchups down there in Greenville. Great barbecue. All right, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's know, true. Weirdest thing though, they pay their they have a club baseball coach that they pay ten thousand dollars a year to coach the club baseball team. Right. Good for and them. They basically use it as like a minor league system because they had dudes who were pumping like 91, 92 on in club baseball. Wow. Good so, for them. Uh, they take it seriously um, to a degree where they weren't very fun to play. <laughs> I got just, it. Yeah. They were just like, opponent is not fun. Well, because they were just so douchey. Like they just all thought they were like, we played club baseball because like we all could have played in college somewhere. But we just wanted to be able to drink and have fun and like not worry about practice or waking up early. All these dudes like still thought they were going to go pro. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, we're, you're playing club baseball, right? Let's well, all just sense. tone it down a little bit. But hey, to each their own. Um, anyway, back to college football. Uh, yes, college football, a lot going on in this whole offseason, uh, which we haven't talked about a ton. There's been some changes to the NIL rules. Uh, the NCAA put out more guidelines as to what's legal, what's not legal, but to be honest, because they dragged their feet so much back in 2021 until it had to go to the Supreme Court and all that shit, um, it's still the wild, wild west, right? And this has boiled up all the way up to the coaches where uh, Nick Saban went out yesterday uh, and basically was kind of talking about his uh, uh, his NIL recruiting class in 2021. And he had said, you know, our guys had a total – of about $3 million. Right. And that we were recruiting our guys the right way. Still, we weren't promising money. You know, we were still going out trying to do things the right way. We weren't. And he said this quote, he said, we're not like A&M who bought their recruiting class. A&M's finished number one, the last two years in recruiting and this year by a large margin uh, with an estimated over $50 million put in, in NIL money. Um, Jimbo Fisher wasn't too happy about that. So Jimbo comes out in a press conference today and basically just goes scorched earth against Nick Saban. Uh, starting off here, and I'm going to go chronologically with some of these quotes that come in. Starts off the first big one. He says, I don't mind confrontation, right? That was in his opening statement. So immediately you go like, all right, this is about to be something, all right? Uh, Jimbo then begins to say that Nick Saban's comments are despicable. He said it five times in his opening statement. We're just keep hammering at home in the way that Jimbo talks a million miles an hour, just despicable. Just, just coming out. Um, then he goes on to say, I don't cheat and I don't lie. I learned that when I was a kid, if you did, the old man slapped you upside the head. Maybe someone should have slapped him referring oh, to, uh, Saban. to serve Nick Saban. Uh, let's see. Jimbo Sir Fisher Nick on Nick Saban. Saban. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his deal. You may find out about a lot of things you don't want to. We build him up to be the czar of college football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. A lot of heat being thrown uh, between these two who won a national title together at LSU and have a lot of history. But the quote of the day comes from Lane Kiffin, 
Uh, Bruce Feldman reached out and asked for Lane, Kip, uh, Lane Kiffin's thoughts on Jimbo and all these comments. And he said, uh, I'm speechless for the first time in my life, which is just <laughs> a fantastic quote from one of the best. Um, look, I actually kind of see both sides to this. Um, I think Jimbo is doing what Jimbo does best, which is deny, deflect, talk about his character, talk about all the stuff he's done. Um, look, he's won a national title at Florida State. He's done a lot of great things, and he's built up, even before NIL, a really good team year in and year out against, you know, a, a competitive SEC, particularly SEC West, with Texas A&M. Uh, and on Saban's side, I get it too, because you look at $50 million in NIL money, you look at the stuff, you look at how Texas A&M is the financial, you talk about backers and everything, is the most financially lucrative of all schools in college football um really yes they make more money off of ticket sales and their athletic department and you look at the donors and the history of texas a&m is number one in the country and it's by a pretty large margin it's um, not oil money <laughs> yeah there's a, and there's a whole hell of a lot of it not to mention also, it's, it's, texas is up there yeah, there's a couple others in that mm -hmm. area that's why yeah 100 percent. but texas a&m surprisingly is the number one school when you talk about financial resources in college football uh, so I kind of get this from both sides, as well as we're, we're talking about NIL here, and it is still the wild, wild west. There are going to be players who start getting burned because there have been charities and stuff that have been made to kind of funnel these kids money. And there's been taxes that haven't been filed. And there's there's a whole lot that's going to go into this. And part of this, in my opinion, at least, is the growing pains of NIL. When you have this fundamental shift in, in college football, in any sport, like it's going to take a while for people to start to kind of get used to that. So uh, I'll open the floor up to you guys. Do you, are you team Saban? Are you team Jimbo? Are you somewhere in between? How are we feeling? Personally? I mean, I'll, I'll start. I'm, I'm team, I'm team Saban. And, and here's why um, I, and I'm kind of in between, but I lean towards Saban because one, if you know anything about Saban and I love the fact that, you know, if you lie or cheat, you should have gotten smacked. Maybe you shouldn't have smacked them there's some great documentaries out there about saving his upbringing and how his dad made him work at their, their uh, car washing shop. And the one day he had kind of an attitude because his, his girlfriend broke up with him, and his dad said, so you, you know, I know you're down because your, your girlfriend broke up with you. Right. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, as your boss, I'm going to fire your ass. And as your father, I'm going to kick your ass. If you keep fucking talking like this, like he grew up with an old school Croatian father. So did Bilicek. That's why they kind of related a lot, but the point is, is that I, I think you're not going to find someone who who uh, you're not going to find a harder discipline out there, maybe maybe in a few spots that, than what Nick Saban grew up with. So I don't love that comment. But on, on the flip side, I think in the money aspect where, where Saban is wrong is that you're right. It is the Wild West. And I'm to the opinion in college football, you're going to push your luck and your limits as much as you can and push these behind, you know, these NIL deals if, if it's going to help you get the best players, you're going to do it. That's what the, the job is. I'm sorry. That's why you get paid. So yes, Texas A&M has been crushing it. Nick Saban, is, is he saying, more, you know, morally there's something there or that, you know, we're doing it the right way. Good. Good for you. But guess what? Like in, in terms of the right way, quote unquote, there is no right way when it comes to NIL right now, there, there's, there's not enough definition around it and not enough examples of where it goes terribly wrong. And there will be, and there will be rule changes over the next five to 10 years that'll make it and settle it down. I, I relate it to something else. And I know this is 
very different, but something I can very closely compare it to is when there started being um, in construction. So anyone who's in construction knows there are these things called, uh, there were cost plus contracts. You get your cost plus your fee. Doesn't matter what you spend, you get it all. Then that was going on for a long time. Then all of a sudden it became, you have that to an extent, there's a guaranteed maximum price called the GMP contract. Then you have it to that point. And that was enacted years later when people took advantage of the cost plus system and just throw all their people on it and just get all their money and make more money, the more money they spent. That's not right. You know? And mm-hmm. I feel like that's how the NIL is going to get. We're at a certain point in relating in a different way. There is going to come out with a better way of, I don't think it's going to be a cap. I think it's going to be more of, you can get it once you're there or you're, you're able to, um, you know, execute certain contracts or a certain amount or for certain types of things like autographs, not for car dealerships, whatever it is until you're settled in the school. And I think that's the change we're going to see is after, you know, signing day and everything. I know people will give guarantees out, but that changes things up a little bit for dealerships or whoever else is promising money. I think that's where I see the change that's going to come. But I actually give all the credit in the world to, to Jimbo Fisher for doing what he's doing. I just don't love what he said about it. I, I love the fact that just take advantage of, of an opportunity while you can. That's what life's about. And until they they hone in on this, you have to you have to make them make rules, right? You have to push it so far where you make them make rules. That's your job, honestly, as a, as a head coach right now in NCAA football. Well, I, to preface, I'm on Team Jimbo on this one, but uh, he he didn't have to push it. It's it's like against the rules, but the fact is that the NC2A straight up doesn't care about rules in, in college football, and and that's no more prevalent than what it's been even before NIL when Nick Saban was the one paying guys and giving whatever he could to get them to come to Alabama. So it's the pot calling the kettle black if you're if you're Nick Saban calling uh, Jimbo Fisher out on this. So I'm, I'm with Jimbo on this, man. Uh, if you're Jesus, all the rules get bent for you. No, I forget it. Like I, I'm out on that. And, and Saban's been doing it for years. So for him to, and it's fine. Like, like if you could, you could did it and get away with it. Okay. Uh, whatever. We're not going to get on you. Uh, we're just going to chalk it up to Alabama being Alabama. Right. Um, but for you to call someone out on it uh, when, when you've been doing the same thing, get out of here with that. <clears throat> It's interesting, right? Because I, I'll say I've had enough off the record conversations with people who've been around both of them to know that this stuff existed for both. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think Alabama has won. And I think that's that ultimately is what is pushed Jimbo to do this. Now, there are still supposed to be guardrails with NIL that says it's not supposed to be about recruiting, right? And uh, ben Hartsock, who hopefully we're going to get on the pod here in the next week or so, played at Ohio State, spent years in the NFL. He and I have always kind of been diametrically opposed when it comes to NIL, when it comes to the transfer portal. He's very old school. You know, he's very thankful for his college career and what it gave him. But he also had a very unique, you know, he was a tight end who ended up having a 10-year NFL career afterwards too, right? Even if it was as like a blocking tight end, like he still played in the NFL for a decade. Um but he and I were texting earlier this week, kind of going back and forth. And um, I want to read you guys his thoughts because this is basically the far extreme, uh, the opposite side of why NIL is, is a bad thing. And he said, the spirit of NIL seems logical. Think of Armando Baycott, who is the center from UNC, uh, coming back to UNC and being able to make money. He's like, 
that's great. But 99% of NIL is dirty recruiting. If that's legal now, the fans should start rooting for their boosters. If not, they should keep any NIL without it being perverted, which that last sentence is actually kind of where I start to agree with him on, which is that when it gets to a point where you were talking about NIL, it's obviously become a factor in recruiting, but it gets to such an extreme degree where, you know, we can talk about Texas A&M having like that year that Duke had, you know, Cam Reddish and Zion and uh, uh, R, uh, RJ Barrett and the, the number one, number two, number three recruits in the country all went to Duke. You know, I don't know if there's any money involved there or whatever. That's not for me to say some of the Zion stuff will lead you to believe that there is, but if that's where we're heading towards, you know, college football, where you can buy recruiting classes, that to me, I think is outside of the spirit of the rule, right? That's a point where it starts to become, as he put it, perverted. And yeah. I think that's where the, the, the kind of core of what Nick Saban was saying, which is that, look, we're going to embrace NIL, but we're also not going to let it become our identity as a recruiting program. And that's where I kind of agree with what Saban was saying. On the other end, you look at what you know, another line from what Jimbo said in his press conference today was, you know, we never bought anybody. I don't agree with that. But he said, no rules are broken. Nothing was done wrong. And then he starts to say, it's a shame that we got to sit up here and defend 17 year old kids and families, blah, 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 and and plays the family card. But to say that no rules were broken and that nothing was done wrong is also true, right? Like, Like at this point, he, they haven't broken any rules, which to me, like, I see both sides of it. And this is yet another example of why the NA, the NCAA dragging their feet on this for as long as they did. And now we know that Mark Emmert stepping down as the president of the NCAA finally, after this upcoming year, um, you know, that's where I kind of start to see the point where it's like, all right, I get both sides of this, but at the same time, we're kind of in a weird situation where you kind of can buy a recruiting class, even though you're not supposed to give kids NIL money beforehand, but all of this has done is take all of that dirty recruiting and made it even more thinly veiled where it's like, we know now it's like, we always assumed there were now there were always stories. You, if you knew guys who played in college football, you would hear those stories. And if there was and my response to him too, was, was like, you know, let's say in the dirty recruiting cycles, there were three to five guys per team, which is usually at least from what I've heard, the number of guys who would get some sort of bag. The majority of the team did not get paid for it. Right. But there would be three to five guys who would see some money from it in the dirting recruiting that three to five guys has now turned into, you know, 30 to 40 guys per team. And on top of it, too, instead of us, it it being a a lunch bag, McDonald's bag kind of transaction, it's now through NIL. So now we can see that there is money taking place. We just don't know when the deals were struck. We don't know what was promised and what wasn't promised, which then makes it that much more like, hey, we're going to butt heads about this hey, we're going to argue about this. Hey, I'm going to call you after doing something wrong. And they're going to say, well, you used to do this before, but there's no real. And so a lot of this just just kind of feels like this weird back and forth between two great college football coaches who are trying to vote. Because that's the thing, too. It's like Saban and Alabama can be like, we spent $5 million in NIL, or we had $5 million of NIL deals you know, coming from our program. But we also win a lot. Right. So there are going to be guys who will take less money in NIL deal uh, in NIL deals, but still want to go to Alabama for Texas A&M. You don't have that luxury. Right. And we're going into year number five for Jimbo at Texas A&M. Right. Like this is really that like, all right, we need to see something here, especially if the boosters are putting that much money in. it. But going back to something you said before, Vito, about 
there's going to become a, a breaking point, right? There's going to become a point where the, the rules are pushed so far that we need to have stricter guidelines in here, whether that is a cap, whether it is this, but then that also comes back to the Supreme court ruling, which yeah. is that, you know, limiting what these kids can make is now according to the Supreme court illegal to do. So you can't put a cap thing. So now are no, we going to, are no. we going to limit scholarships? Are we going, you know what I mean? So, well, I think that's where, that's where like, and, and to, to further what I was saying, it's like, I, I think, it was an adjustment made because of the way contracts were going. And I think the way contracts are going right now with kids, to your point, is that you don't get any money to year two at your program. So all these guys who are giving money before these deals were struck to your point or like, uh, or right when you sign, does that delay? And so then are, are you not guaranteed as much from those folks? And I think what they do to react to the, because you got to remember the people giving kids this money are usually extremely savvy businessmen and women. So like they know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> well, and not I mean? only that too, Vito, one of my favorite lines about NIL, this, and this is goes back three years ago when I was working with Andy Staples, who in, in my mind is still the best college football writer in the country. And he had a, a, a great you know, perspective on this, which is like, do you think these billionaires, these multimillionaires, these wealthy people became millionaires by making bad investments? You know, <laughs> and, and, and you know what a bad investment might be giving a million dollars to a 17 year old kid. That might be a bad like, Think about trusting a 17 year old kid to have that much money that young. And my whole argument for this is like, there's so going to be, there's yeah. Right. There's going to be a couple of years where it just swings so out of control, but just like a pendulum or just like a, you know, a, a, a snow globe, you shake it up. It's going to get real crazy and snowy for a while, but eventually it's going to settle. Think about the college football playoff, right? When yeah. we switched from the BCS, to the college football playoff model, everyone thought it was going to change college football forever. Everyone thought it was going to be the end of the world. And after two or three seasons, what happened? We all just got used to it. And a lot of people have learned to actually, you know, I kind of prefer it this way because the way we were doing it before was fundamentally flawed. And has it created its own set of problems? Sure. But do I think it's better now than it was during the BCS era? Yeah, absolutely. And it's going, things take time to evolve. The problem is, is we live in a generation in a world where everyone wants their shit immediately. Everyone wants it now. And it's like, well, we're a year in and it's chaos. This has to be a bad thing. No, realistically, we're not going to be able to look back and tell whether or not this was a good idea or a bad year and a bad idea until 10 years, 15 yeah. years down the road. So we have to kind of just do the best we can to navigate it, right? If we judge everything as it was in the moment, similarly to how people judged some of the stuff with like the COVID stuff, right? Like COVID comes out and it, oh my God, the CDC got this wrong. They're a bunch of idiots. No, they're learning on the fly. They're trying to figure shit out on the fly and they're doing insane amounts of research and they're trying to figure it out and they're doing the best that they can. And I think that's kind of, and, and in any sort of business, there's always going to be people who look for those seams, look for those cracks in the way it is to get an advantage, to get in a competitive advantage in anything. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And so if Texas A&M is doing that, I can see why Saban would be like, hey, man, this isn't the spirit of the rule. But at the same time, Jimbo Fisher says, yeah, but we didn't break any rules. So yeah. what are you pissed about? And now, you, and then it turns into clearly the personal beat that they have coming out onto the surface, which is just fantastic theater for all of college football fans. You swayed me. What a brilliant political move by Saban there. I mean, just to, the old bait and switch is what they call. <laughs> I mean, um, and guess what? Circle your calendar for October 8th. October because 8th. Because 
the block is hot, and that Texas A&M at Tuscaloosa to play the Alabama Oof. game is going to be lit. Oh, that's quote, a, that's quote, a, just getting into the fall. Oh God, don't even don't even throw out the word October. I'm ready. And it's getting, in Tuscaloosa too. Oh, yeah, just can't oh. fucking wait for football. to quote uh, Lane Kiffin. Get your popcorn ready. Um, one other thing I want to talk about here in college football before we take a break. Uh, new rule was in place that essentially uh, gives conferences. Because uh, before there was a rule that was like, if you had X amount of teams, you had to do two divisions within the conference and the two champions had to play each other, which is why the Big 12, who only ever had 10 teams, was yeah. able to do a, you know, best winning percentage or whatever the two best teams play. Well, now every conference has the ability to do that uh, about an hour, I think maybe two hours after that rule was passed by the NCAA, <laughs> the Pac-12 immediately came out and said, yeah, no, we're changing that. Oh, uh, unsurprising yeah, yeah. that it was, uh, was the Pac-12 great. who did that, that was first. Great. I love um, that. And, you know, we had Ryan Leaf on, you know, mm-hmm. just not that long ago. And we talked about, you know, the Pac-12 and, and I agree with him. I think, I think the Pac-12 is insanely underrated. I, I think the, I, on a national level, I are do. they as competitive as the Big Ten or the SEC? Probably not. But I love them because there's the most parody ever. You know, there's a reason people love Pac-12 after dark because there's always something crazy and the games are always really competitive. Uh, True football fans love Pac-12 after dark. It's it's such an East Coast bias in the sport. I'm just going to leave it at that. 100%. 100%. And Scotty doesn't like the Pac-12 for his own personal reasons. It's uh, it's mostly uh, personal stuff. It's the only thing about West Coast. It's the only West Coast thing that Scotty doesn't like. Yeah, you know, it's very is the West Coast. Now, LA. Um, and, and the fact and that San, there isn't I'm like a there. there isn't like a team based out of San Francisco. Um, the Bears, but, the Cal. How dare you disparage the Cal Bears? Whatever. Uh, Stanford's uh, better. Uh, anyway, dare the, you, sir. One of the things I want to bring up here, though, is is a. I think it's a great thing for college football as a whole. I um, and I think the Big Ten should absolutely adopt it, and we can talk about that in a second. But it got me like really fired up to think about like, all right, let's say Oregon is nine and two and Washington's nine and two. And then we get a re, you know, we get a replay of the Apple Cup, you know, yeah. in is that the Apple Cup? No. Civil War, but they the, changed the name. No, Civil, it's War is, not, no. Civil War is Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah. The Apple Cup's Washington, Washington State. We're mixing up rivalries. What's here, the boys. orange? What's the what's the orange? I don't think there's an official name C- for the, the Civil rivalry. Apple. The Civil Apple. The Civil Apple. They yeah. need to there's make. definitely no. There's definitely we're getting <laughs> the Angry Orchard. Orchard. The Apple War. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's definitely a name for it, um, but it did get me excited because we're gonna have this awesome. Uh, maybe there isn't a name for it. It just says the Oregon Washington football rivalry. I always thought that there was. I, I did too, but I don't think there is actually. And uh, um, nonetheless, it, but that it should be because they're they're actual the probably the biggest rivals up there in the Pacific yeah, Northwest. Absolutely right. And so if you have Oregon, Washington, who are both you know nine and two or ten and one or whatever, like to have them play again in the championship, like that's what I love. That's what I one of the things I've loved and defended about the Big Twelve for so long is you get the Red River rivalry again in the Big Twelve championship, right? Or you know even like this past year, right? Like we saw that Oklahoma state and Baylor game, you know, like you'll get replays of these games. You get a second chance, which ultimately just makes it that much more competitive. But I I think it helps the PAC 12 a lot, but I think it would really, I don't know. Let me put it this way. I think it helps the PAC 12 for that because a lot of years, the two best teams in the PAC 12 could be both in the PAC 12 North or in the PAC 12 South. But I actually think there might be a sneaky argument to say that it would actually be worse for the big 10. Because if you have, you know, Michigan and Ohio State play 
and Michigan loses, right? So Michigan's nine, you know, 10 and one and Ohio state's 11 and zero, and then they play again in the big 10 championship. And back Maybe that's a bad weeks. example because you would still have a one loss champion, but like, yeah. let's say they were so. both, you know, 10 and one and one of the losses came from the other and then they play again, you know, I don't know. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. If you have a team that has one loss or two, one loss teams, I guess, Theoretically, you need two two losses. So maybe I'm just talking myself well, into say, an argument. That like, what, make sense, what if but. you throw in? What if you throw in three other teams? Like, uh, you throw in Iowa, Wisconsin, and Penn State are all sitting with one loss. Then what do you do? Well, <laughs> well then it would it would just like the Big Twelve, where it comes into head to head, and then I, I think it's head to head is the head, first tiebreaker. It, yeah, then if there's yeah, but not everybody's going to play everybody. Different. It's it's Big Ten has some fun tiebreakers. I love that. That's fun. Yeah. Scotty, when we made the Big Ten Championship back in 2014 or whatever, 16, 16. it was like off the, the tiebreaker. That was hilarious. It was that old moment where you're like, dude, I wish they just did it like like Friday Night Lights, the movie where they all go flip a coin in some like gas station. Like, where's that at in college football? We need that shit. But to your point, Jeff, I think it, it's a real big debate on what what is you know the SEC going to do when, when they get Texas and Oklahoma. I think there's too many teams. You're going to have to stay with an East and West and the West will be way stronger at that point too. Like with Texas and Oklahoma now, you know, can they shift around maybe, but for the big 10, I think this is a really interesting conversation because to, to the point of the East and the strength of it, do you want to just say the winner that gets out has an easier opponent so they can go on to the, to well, the and that's, the, and that's yeah, what I was playoffs. trying to say, right. I guess yeah. my thought process is like, all right, you have a 10 and one Ohio state team going up against the, uh, uh, eight and three, you know, Iowa team or something of like that, or a nine and two Wisconsin team. Um, and, and then it's going to be like, all right, but we know Ohio state's going to be better, but if it's Michigan or Penn state or, you know, uh, Ohio state or Michigan state, or one of those teams in the East, that's a lot more loaded. And now you're looking at like, all right, here's a, you know, 10 and one Ohio state team going up against the nine and two Michigan team for a second time. And then all of a sudden Michigan beats them you know, yeah, like playing in the East or sorry, playing in the West in the big 10 has traditionally been an easier route. Uh, or at least those teams aren't as good on the national level as what we've seen from like Ohio state and Michigan over the last couple of years. It, right. It's just, I, I don't know if that's better or worse. I think it makes it a better product. I think the big 10, which is already a good product. I think the championship value gets that much better. Um, I do too. I think because taking this case in that 2016 season, instead of playing Wisconsin, we probably would have played the 11 and two Ohio State Buckeyes instead of the 11 and three. Well, I mean, at that point, they were 11 and two as well. But they, they Ohio State was eight and one in the conference. Wisconsin was seven and two in the conference. So the point is, is that you'd probably have a Penn State Ohio State rematch in the big in the Big Ten championship instead of the Penn State Ohio State or instead of the Penn State Wisconsin game which we saw which penn state won i think that is the difference right and ohio state had a chance if they had won probably to make the playoffs as a first two loss team over penn state because both their losses were close i think it definitely changes the way the conference looks at it if i'm a conference uh you know uh chancellor is that the right term right are they chancellors I don't president know, i think sure yeah. yeah or commission Whatever. commissioner I, I hope i hope they're all different i hope one's a duke i hope one's something else anyway I think that if you're those people in charge, you, you push for let's just have the two best teams play. And I think if you're a a team that's not usually one of the best, let's say like if you're Auburn in the SEC, if you're Penn State or even Michigan, you're probably voting for it. Let's just say the winner out of the out of the side gets it. Um, but that's what I think. What like what is your gut telling you, Scott? Like what if you could determine which way the Big Ten goes? Which way do you do you want them to go? 
I almost like it this way because, you know, as it stands in front of us, you know, we have to beat Michigan and Ohio State. And if you don't, you're probably not going uh, to, to the conference championship game. So it doesn't matter, right? Like they're going to be on your schedule anyway. <clears throat> you know that. Uh, so just beat the team in front of you. Like, yeah, but it, the one thing I would add, though, is that it does offer up the ability to get redemption which does. is something that we've seen over because I think in order to That's, make the playoff as a two loss team, if, if every conference was operating this way, it, you would like, so I'd say Penn state is, you know, so we would have, what you're saying is we could have gone to the playoff that year. No, I think I, what he's I, saying is that if Ohio state's the team that beats us, we get redemption. It's like beer pong. You get redemption, bro. Like if yeah. you just went out the rest and you make your shots in the rest of the cups, you get a redemption shot, which, which still isn't going to, cause again, we still have never had a two loss team make the playoff. Right. Um, and until that expands, I still don't think we will, but at yeah. least it would allow for a year like this year where Cincinnati <laughs> made it right undefeated. And, and it was like, is, you know, is Oklahoma is Baylor who won the big 12 with two losses. Are they going to sneak in over Cincinnati? And ultimately they didn't do that, which I think is a smart move. And I still think Cincinnati, but this year was like an ultimate chaos year where everything had to break perfectly to have a group of five team make it. And I do think there's a scenario out there where everything would have to break right, but a two loss team could make the playoff. And I think this allows that easier because if, if Penn state did lose to Ohio state in the regular season, and that was one of their losses. And let's say they lose to Auburn or Alabama or someone else that they played out of conference. And then they get a shot in the conference championship to take down you know, Ohio state, and they didn't have any bad losses on them, then you're not going to discredit the loss to Ohio state, but at least you give them the credit for, okay, but they are beat them later in the system. You're valuing the the conference championship win more. That's what. Well, I think, I think the best example is let's see what happens this last year at the big 10 Michigan beats Ohio state end of the year, right? Ohio state had that early loss against Oregon that right. Everyone discarded Michigan goes and wins that game. And then now you realize like, okay, Ohio State has two losses. If they would have rematched instead of playing, you know, Iowa, you know, out of the West, that would have been a much better Big Ten championship. Everyone would have, that would have been incredible. And if, if Ohio State had beaten Michigan in the Big Ten championship, would you put the two loss of Ohio State team in over undefeated Cincinnati? I don't know, but I think that's a better discussion than the two-loss Michigan team, yeah. right? 100%. Or, or, well, it's a, well, not on that, but it's a better discussion than the two-loss Baylor team out of the yeah. Big 12, right? 100%. Where it was like, because if Oklahoma State had won that game, I still think one loss Oklahoma State probably gets in over Cincinnati. Though, again, I, I don't do think too. that would have been fair, but I do think the committee would have done that. But if it was a two-loss you know, Oklahoma State, two-loss Ohio State, but Ohio State's the Big Ten champs, and they vind- and they they got redemption with that win over Michigan, and let's say they win convincingly in the Big Ten championship, which again that was played in Indy on a turf field, and I think they would have had a much better chance to do that. Then that's a different argument, and I think you consider the the loss against Oregon, who was a good team, so it's like all right, that's a quality loss, that's a loss to a top ten team, and then they vindicate their other loss that they had against you know Michigan earlier in the year. I still think the committee might lean Cincinnati just because they were undefeated, but undefeated group of five versus a two loss Ohio state well, team. And we yeah. can talk about the committee not having any bias and they try to remove all the previous years. And it's just this season and all that bullshit, but it's Ohio state. And if Ohio state was convincing enough in that win, considering that other game was played in the snow and all, it's not about money, Scott, knock it off. The Lots. next TV contract next year for the big 10 is going to be over a billion dollars. All right. Yeah. It's not about fucking money. Um, but again, 
I do think that would at least be a better and bigger conversation than what we had previously. So I don't know. I think undeniably, I think it's better for college football. It's be- it's worse for the group of five. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. But I think as a college football fan, if the ACC, if the SEC, if the Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, all of them, if they all did that, I think it's a better product in the end. Do you think anyone else besides the Pac-12 will do it before this football season starts? Um, I'm ACC, curious because they, they said that the with the addition of the new teams, which is still unsettled, unsettled yet in the Big 12, um, that they were going to switch to a conference schedule. Uh, they were actually going to change from that. And so as it stands, whenever that happens, technically the only school, the only conference that'll be doing that is the Pac-12. Um, I don't know. I, I would be surprised. I would be surprised I, if, I think if they did. But odds are one will do it, but I don't know which. But I, I would. it's going to be fun to see what they all do. I just thought it was so funny that the Pac-12 did it like immediately, like an, like an hour afterwards. Like, like no, they were, we're definitely the ones in that meeting pushing for it. And then once it was out there, like, guys, we, we're good. We're good on the decision. Let's let's roll. I, th- I just think it makes more sense. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I just think it makes more sense. You know, you, you play your conference schedule and you're not going to the, the biggest pushback on it is that you're not playing everybody. You know, you're not playing every team. So how can you get a fair shake of actually who are the teams with the best winning percentage? But ultimately, your conference schedule is going to be out of your control. That's going to be set by the conference. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you're going to play who you're going to play. But, like, the other thing I would say, too, is it gives you an opportunity, particularly in the Pac-12, to get an additional high-quality win on your resume. And the only conference that really needs that to be able to make the college football push. Now, I, I do think that the college football playoff will be further out of reach for um, – the big 12 after this move, I think the big 12 is going to be hurt enough that you really are going to need like an undefeated or a one loss champion. Cause the quality of that conference is just not going to be as high without Oklahoma or Texas, at least perception, they, you know, perception yeah. wise. Um, but the, the PAC 12 needs it. The big 10 doesn't need it. The ACC doesn't need it. And this sec doesn't need it. The only one that really does based off of the parity that exists in their conference, which again, I argue is actually a compliment and is a good thing to the PAC 12 as a conference as a whole. Um, is being able to, you know, add one more quality win on somebody's schedule and make a better case for them making the college football playoff rather than, you know, Oregon playing a, a four-loss UCLA or a four-loss Arizona State team, you know, or Utah team in the in the Pac-12 championship. So now ultimately it's still going to be up to those schools to, to win. It's still going to be up to them to make it, you know, get it done. But, you know, we'll see. All right, uh, quick break. We'll come back uh, and we'll talk. We'll wrap with our top 10 running backs in the NFL. All right, con- continuing our position rankings of the NFL. As a, you weren't here for my analogy last week or on, on Tuesday's pod, Vito, but my analogy for this is essentially, you know, uh, it's like boat maintenance, right? Like if you own a boat in the wintertime when you can't use it, you got to go in, you got to start it, you got to make sure you get some oil in there, get all the dust off just to make sure everything's running. So that way by the time you get to, you know, that make first sure time the you take the boat out, clean. exactly, yeah. all that good stuff then you're good to roll. So this is this is just our, you know, just loosening up the oiling up the gears, making sure we're all ready to go. All right. Uh Vito, since you you weren't here for the QB rankings, uh, which I demolished Scotty on. It wasn't even close. Um, I'll give you the first uh the first crack here at your number one running back on your list. I'm going Derrick Henry, man. I mean, I think Derrick Henry is number one. If if you put him anywhere, he's gonna dominate. 
he's just too big and too fast. And too yeah. Strong. Agree. I, like how, how do you argue against it? I know like the guy who's probably on all of our lists at number two, uh, save for maybe Jeff, uh, and Vito, he's probably a, he's second on your list. It's one and one a or one a one B for me, but like, uh, Derek Henry prove uh, until you prove me wrong. And last year he was out for half of the year and he still had the stat line that like was better than most of the entire league and closer to uh, what we're used to from, from running backs anyway. And he played half the year. So it's Derrick Henry for me too. I don't have Derrick Henry. Yeah, of All course right, you don't. Yeah. Because you're wrong again. I have Jonathan Taylor. Number one. Yeah. Um, now I, I understand the arguments. I understand Derrick Henry. And for the record, uh, Derek, you love Jonathan Taylor. Derrick Henry is my number two. Um, so it's not like it's a, a far fall here for, for D- Derrick Henry. Uh, right. I, my longstanding belief with running backs, I think uh, mileage, right? Wear on the tires is a huge thing. How much tread on the tires you got left? Jonathan Taylor is coming off an unbelievable season. Uh, he's running behind a fantastic offensive line this year. And, and the only big difference for me, honestly, is the age. It's just that's it. Like Derrick Henry just so, has more yeah. wear and tear on him. He's coming off his first major injury of his career. And Jonathan Taylor is entering his prime. Like, I don't even think last season was the best uh, Jonathan Taylor season we're going to see. So if I could have one running back on my team, guy can catch the ball, the backfield can literally do everything and is still a physical monster uh, with his breakaway speed. I mean, I love Jonathan Taylor when he was coming out of Wisconsin. He was one of my favorite players in that draft. So I'm, I'm still wrong with Jonathan Taylor. Not, not by much, but just by a little bit. Yeah, and like I said, one A, one B for me too. Like that's I had him at two. For for your point there, Jeff, like you're going with age, and for me, for some reason, I'm, I'm really going with size. And I used to not think this way, but Derrick Henry has single handedly changed my mind that a, a person that big, when he you know gets in the huddle and is as big as all the offensive linemen, it's like okay, this guy's hard to tackle for for secondary and linebackers who are starting to get smaller and play outside. And and I I just love the fact that. For for different reasons, we have a, a different one, two, three, or whatever it is, because uh, it's that it's size versus age versus wear on the tires. And, I, I love this combination because this is how NFL teams can go after a free free agent so differently, right? Because mm-hmm. of what they value. I, I love this. And I had I had Henry at one because uh look, Taylor now has a quarterback who throws the ball more than than uh, Indianapolis has seen in a, in a good long time. Uh, and granted Taylor will be part of that pass game, but I think, uh, Tennessee's offense is going to have to lean on Derrick Henry more, uh, this season. So that's sure, why I but, had him as my number I one. Mean, back. Uh, but this exercise isn't necessarily talking about them in their right. exact like format, right? It's just talking about like the player, like what he can do in an offense. Like you think about what Jonathan Taylor could do in that San Francisco offense and you'd be shitting your pants, right? Like, like this, so it's just a matter of yes. And, How does that happen? For for Besides workload, Madden. for well, no, I, I just mean like we're talking about the player. We can use the context of what we what we've seen from them in their system, which no question to this point we've seen more from Derrick Henry. Um, the only thing, and I also I don't disagree with you, Vito, because like to me, mm-hmm. like the size he's an, he's a defensive end playing running back, right? Like, he's an absolute freak. <laughs> That's the best way to put um, it. But when I when I see Jonathan Taylor too, it's like we, it's not like we're talking about someone the size of Christian McCaffrey. We're talking about like a six foot two, six foot three, absolute brick shit house in Jonathan Taylor, a dude who was a huge dude. It's just any running back that we've ever seen doesn't compare to Derrick Henry. Um, and Derrick Henry is still number two on my list for that. He's just a physical freak and he can completely take over games. So it's, 
Jonathan Taylor is strong, but I will say Zach Parker, just let me know. He's 5'10". 5'10". All right. Nonetheless, I but mean, he's as, strong. As he's he's fuck. exactly. He's it's, <laughs> you're not bringing that dude down with arm tackles. Um, but yeah, Derek he Henry may have the same like, height. He, I was gonna say he may have actually the same like pounds per inch technically that Derek Henry has, just at a pound. smaller size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pound pound. It's right, efficiency. So, so, Scotty, you and I both have same two players, but reverse. We all veto. Do you have Jonathan Taylor number two? See, that's what I was saying. Based off I of do. my when I said it, I didn't think you had this. Who's number two for you? I got Chubb. I got Nick Chubb. I just think that this dude has been just slamming it. Uh, I really believe in him. I know, again, injuries, uh, but I think looking ahead, uh, when you look at my top two guys being injured last year, I think what it shows is I'm, I'm kind of excluding that and saying, what is the running style I like? I love Nick Chubb. I love how aggressive he is when he runs the ball. I love Jonathan Taylor, too. But in my, in my rankings, you'll see it's more about you've proven it a couple times. Jonathan Taylor for me ranks three because of the fact you had a great rookie year. Now let's see you do it when the whole, every team is keying on you and they were in the second half of the season. I'm just saying that for me, that's why he lands number three. Went well, he, had, he had two years. <laughs> this is his third. Season. I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry. Two years. But, but what I do, I will say is that again, that Derek Henry and Nick Chubb were more of, Hey, we've done this sustained over at this point, you know, four to five to six, seven years. And, and now you're waiting to see what Jonathan Taylor does. Um, and I did like how balanced, how balanced he was in the past reception game versus the running game. I think he does a better job than probably Chubb and Henry, but for, for running backs, I would still go with the other two first. Um, I have Chubb at five because you know, he's pairing with Kareem hunt, right. And like, he's going to get his yards. He's going to get his touchdowns. The the guy, it's not about what he is situation. It's about the person, right? Right. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, like Chubb is going to get his uh, for sure. Um, and if you if you put him on most teams, I think he's he's over a twelve hundred yard back. Um, but the the yeah, and and where you'll see in 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 my rankings, I have I have him at five. I think he's a a, a solid solid back uh, who who can do a lot out of the backfield for you. But he's a little bit one dimensional for me, which is why I dropped him down to five. Um, I have Chubb at three. I'm, I'm right with you there, mm-hmm. uh, Vito. I, I think Nick Chubb is, again, when you have him compared with, you know, uh, Kareem Hunt, like he's not going to get as many yards, and yet he's been with Kareem Hunt for two seasons, and yet he's still been – He's and Kareem Hunt's a sick running back. Yeah. And, and we'll actually end up talking about him a little bit later um, in this conversation. But um, Nick Chubb is – is everything I want in a running back. He's to me, the different, the only difference between him and Jonathan Taylor is just that there's a little bit less tread on the tire. He's mm-hmm. had an injury or two. Um, and he's just a little bit shorter, you know, yes. he's a little bit more compact, but he's built in that same way, that pound for pound kind of thing. And it doesn't matter. Cause when, you know, one of the weird things that people always say about Derek Henry is like, Oh, he runs so tall. He's such a big dude. You know, it's like, you can't chop him. You can't do anything. Like he's just going to throw you off of him. Regardless, you're going to bounce off of him when you try to tackle him low. Uh, when you got a dude that, that that's that compact, that fast, that strong, and he's coming at you right up the heart. Uh, Nick Chubb comes at you as hard as anybody. And again, like if I could have any running back, right? Like I don't go more than two guys before I'm talking about Nick Chubb. And, and I, I also, I get it, right? You know, people think one-dimensional stuff. Kareem's definitely a better catch, you know, catches the ball better out of the backfield than Nick Chubb, but it's not that he can't do it. He's done it in Cleveland. They just have the luxury of not having to throw him the ball because they have a guy like Kareem Hunt. And when they do the two running back sets sometimes and they're both in there, 
either one of them can catch the ball and go. So yep. uh, I just love Nick Chubb. I'm a big fan. Um, all right. So then who's number three for you, Scotty? Najee Harris. Whoa. Uh, because why? <laughs> because uh, of the two dimensional, uh, two dimensional back. I mean, he was one of the best backs last year as a rookie uh, behind a terrible offensive line and a quarterback who had one arm. Uh, I think he's going to be a lot better this year. And, and to your point, Vito, I think uh, after their rookie year, defense is going to key a lot on that guy. Uh, but the problem is you have three really good receivers and probably a fourth in rookie George Pickens uh, and, and a rookie, potentially a rookie quarterback playing at some point uh, in that in that roster for Pittsburgh. So I think they're going to lean on Najee more. Uh, and despite the fact that defense is will key on him. I think he's that talented of a back uh, in both catching in the passing game and the running game that he will dominate. Najee's a stud. Like I don't get me wrong. And he's on my list too. I didn't have him this high. Um, I, it feels a little high just again, cause it's, it's one year, but I also, I can't poke a whole lot of holes in your argument, right? Like he did play behind a terrible offensive line. Uh, he did have also an insane workload. Right, Najee Harris had 307 carries. The only player who had more What's than the Pittsburgh way was Jonathan Taylor. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, but he can do everything, and, and physically is a freak. And there's a really good chance he comes in and has an even better second season. And he, he finished fourth in the league in rushing. He had 1,200 rushing yards, uh, and he also can catch the ball in the backfield too. So I'm I'm not against the pick necessarily. Um, and again, going to that tread on the tires kind of thing, like he's pretty high on the list for me. Like he, I mean. He, there's some other guys I would take behind him. I'd take ahead of him only because of past production, plus what I would hope that they could be dealing with injuries and in certain things. Um, but there's no question that Najee should be in the conversation in this top 10 conversation, no doubt. I agree. I had him at seven um, a little later, but I, I think, Sky, to your point, why I said, well, I just wasn't expecting it. I think there is every reason, like you see with Jonathan Taylor, you see with a lot of other running backs, where your second year you can absolutely explode. Um, Steelers are going to run the ball a lot this year. Speaking about a specific situation, but in terms of an athlete, uh, he is the guy. He's like a smaller for sure. Um, I feel like the Bama comparison with Henry is there, but like he he he's smaller, but um, still runs hard as shit. And I I love him. I loved his draft when he announced that pick from Mexico this year. Like you can see a silly side of him, and I feel like just that personality and. And what he brings to the locker room, you know that the team's going to be vying for him. And I could see them making him the feature for the next couple of years. But I do think without a quarterback, man, it's going to be tough for him. He's going to get he's going to heat on a lot uh, in that situation. But as a talent, I think he's still in that top 10, like you said, and, and, and for me at seven. But I would love to see I, I think he's his trending upward on this list. He's not like at his peak yet on the top 10 list of running backs. Well, and Scotty did the same thing with Justin Herbert, right? I mean, he's yeah. definitely projecting a little bit and it's different. And like quarterback and running back are very different for me in terms of that. Like mm. it, the, the pre stuff, like what we've seen a player do to this point matters more to me with quarterback than it does for uh, running back in some cases. And I do think Najee falls on that to me where it's like the dude had almost 1700 all purpose yards. He had 467 receiving yards on 74 catches in addition to his 1200 yards. Um, the workload thing, you know, scares me, but again, he's, I mean, he's 22 years old um, right. and, and he's young and, and did not seem to be affected or slowed down at all with the workload. So, I, I mean, and, he, and again, 
if you want to key on him on defense, it, it, you're going to have to put your your defensive backfield fully on on Deontay Johnson and and Chase Claypool just because they're that good of receivers. So like, unless you have a a, a solid linebacker coming out, uh, the the defensive matchup, the defensive scheme is going to be like you can key on him, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. I mean, I have Najee at five, so I don't have him that far removed from you. Um, again, I just, there's a couple of guys I had uh, just a bit ahead of him. Um, all right. So number four, then for uh, Vito, for you, who do you have? I got McCaffrey at four. Uh, I think him mm-hmm. coming back, I, I think the dude's just really talented. I, I, I just, it's hard to, to argue against a guy who's gotten over, you know, uh, how many yards he's gotten in a single season over 2000 and everything. And I, I just, all purpose. He's a, he's a monster in, in every phase of the game. And he's a guy I underestimated coming into the NFL and he proved me wrong every chance he's gotten to get on the field. So I, I won't do that again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, I, at, he's at four for me too, uh, for, for all of that. Yeah. I mean, just the injury thing I was, I was teetering on, uh, on, on dropping him lower uh, just because, you know, the a, the injury and b the offensive line in front of him. Um, but I think, you know, uh, I think the, the Panthers have a lot more on offense to prove, especially with, uh, again, another rookie quarterback coming in and Sam Donald. So who knows what that situation is going to be. So McCaffrey's going to be the guy. And when you put the ball in his hands, good things happen and good things tend to happen. So yeah, that, that, that's why I, I had him at four slightly, slightly ahead of Chubb, uh, for, for the versatility as well. I have C-Mac at eight. Um, okay. The injury yeah. thing. That's, I mean, I thought about that's it. That's just yeah. what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. been 100%. three years in a row of injuries. Um, it's been two years of significant injuries uh, where he's just not on the field. And I see the electricity. And again, that's why I still have him in my top 10. Like there are guys who I know would be on the field who are who I didn't put in my top 10, um, who I would take the risk on the upside. I would take the risk on the explosiveness. Yeah. Um, but for, for this exercise i there's just a a major concern of just is he going to be able to play and i would love for him to play because when he does he is one of the most electric players in the league um but for me i i couldn't put him any higher um than eight because yeah. again like because i even in my head i'm like we've seen c-mac do this for years but then you have a guy like Najee who can catch ball the backfield who's bigger stronger younger faster uh, maybe not faster but at least is in that same ballpark and it's like i'd rather see the dude who took you know almost 400 or took uh yeah almost 400 touches and didn't seem to be affected by it at all um all right number four for you scotty it was mccaffrey oh yeah mccaffrey's all right so number four for who's so who's five for or four for you then i have alvin kamar um uh now there is some legal stuff (laughs) going on with him you know we don't really know what's going to happen but uh, Alvin Kamara is, is Christian McCaffrey, but without the injuries, I mean, Alvin Kamara is just, he was the only offensive weapon on that entire new Orleans saints team. And there were games where it felt like he, I mean, the only reason they were even in the conversation with, uh, you know, Taysom Hill. And then who was the other quarterback? Was it case Keenum? No. Who was, who was the other quarterback that they had fill in Ian book? <laughs> no, it well, he did play one game. It was terrible, but there was another <laughs> like generic white quarterback who they had chase um, McDaniels. Saints. Was it, uh, isn't the dude, I think it might've been the dude who played for the Broncos. Um, oh, uh, um, you're talking about, uh, out of Northwestern, um, yes. Trevor Simeon, Trevor, Trevor I, Simeon. I think it was Trevor yeah. Simeon. Yep. 
Um, and they damn near made the playoffs, right? And and yep. Christian McCaffrey was the only, I mean, think about that wide receiver room with like Traquan Smith. And I saw some yeah. NFL analysts today had them, actually might have been like on Twitter, had them as like the eighth ranked offense in the NFL, which just Did, like, what's how this in height? The world? I mean, yeah. Alave, I get like Alave <laughs> could come in and I think will well, come yeah. in and be really good, but like your best wide receiver is Alave. We haven't well, seen Michael Thomas play in two years, oh, and so and Kamara may or may not even end up like being able you to play. Yeah, Jameis, dude, you're so. fucking set. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Nonetheless, like Kamara though is a one man wrecking crew, and, and and I'll say this: like I, there have been very few times I've seen a running back carry an entire team like that and doing it in every way possible. He's the first guy we've mentioned really. Rare. I guess McCaffrey too, but like. To me, like you can line him out in the slot, you can line him out wide, and you can do that with McCaffrey too. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Kamara, I think, is even better at it when he's like actually lined up as a wide receiver. Uh, McCaffrey's better when you can put him in motion, you can use him out of the backfield on the screens and 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 running back designed things like out of the running back position. Um, Kamara is just a special talent, and uh, and the other thing too is it's like the longevity thing with him. Yeah, he gets banged up a couple of times throughout the season but he still ends up putting up 1500 all purpose yards every single yeah. year. And I mean, he's every, I think every year he's had at least one, like three touchdown game where he just completely takes over. And like, yeah, that six touchdown game, a couple, yeah. like, I mean, no, I, so I personally have him at six, but I, I like right up here. And, and I just think that to your point, he's the most versatile guy maybe on this list. If not, he's in, he's one or two. Um, I think that he can do a lot. You know, I, I definitely think that there are some, I would say, uh, what I have him as a sit back is I think the other guys run with a little different style that I personally like more. I don't think yeah. it has anything to do against him. I think he's a guy who the best compliment you can pay him, or at least I can say, is that even the things I knock him for, he's never going to lose his job to another running back mm-hmm. until he's old. He yeah. is the guy. So like he'll be around, (laughs) he can move to probably most teams in the NFL and be the guy, um, over elite players. Uh, he he's that good of a athlete and that good of a football player. He's a football player more than that's, that's like, honestly, that's a really good way of putting it. And the thing is too, is it's like, he's big enough where like the, one of the nicest compliments people used to say about McCaffrey is you can run him in between the tackles. You can, but maybe you should find other ways to do that. I don't feel like I need to you know, emphasize like, oh, you can run Kamara through the tackles because he's so shifty and it doesn't ever really seem like he takes big hits. Um, and again, yeah. everything else. He, he's a football player. Yeah, he's a football player. Um, all right. So then number five, I feel like this is where we're all going to start having a bunch of random names pop around. We've all had very different lists at this point. I, um, I had Kamara somewhere else besides you. But you, you want me to go into that? Where'd I had Kamara at eight. You had him lower? Okay. Yeah. Well, just right. because like, I mean, Look, his strength as a wide receiver came when Drew Brees was quarterback and he was dinking and dunking. Yeah, he can line up in the slot and do whatever and be a decoy for, for guys when you have a good whoa, receiving whoa, Are you court, saying that, then, that Drew Brees, one of the Hall of Famers, is better than, than the greatest quarterback James? of all time, Jameis Winston? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> no, I'm not, because what I'm saying is Jameis is going to sling the pill. Right. Go. And now he's got a good receiving core. He's going to be expected to sling the ball more a little bit. So but he does not check down. I will give you that. <laughs> it's going to be tougher sledding for, for Kamara. But the question isn't whether or not is he going to do that this year? It's whether or not can he do this? Right. Skill wise, not position. And the question is, he absolutely can. 
Yeah. You know, if he so, was playing for San Francisco with Jimmy G as a starting quarterback, not to keep using the Niners oh. as an example, Scotty. I'm just mean like if <laughs> yes, he was please. playing with a quarter or Jalen Hurts or any other yeah. quarterback who was not Jameis, right? Like he still can do the stuff that he did with Drew Brees. It's still you, a part of his arsenal. What do you think? All right. So so who do you have a five then, Jeff? I have Aaron Jones. Uh, okay. Wow. Which is probably higher than most people have Aaron Jones. I, I think a big reason this kind of goes back to the the Nick Chubb thing, right? Like if Aaron Jones is the sole running back, if he's Kamara, if he's Derrick Henry, something like that, he's probably in the top three for, I think, most people's conversations because he can do everything. Yeah, and because I think he gets lost a little bit. The fact that that A.J. Dillon's there, too, mm-hmm. like which is a smart thing to do. I, I've said that a million oh, yeah. times on the podcast, team, yeah. right? Like have your rotation of running backs and being able to have both of those guys is a huge advantage for Green Bay. And both of them were fantastic last year. Uh, Aaron Jones to me is, is like a game record type running back who can kind of do, he's like Alvin Kamara, but more in between the tackles. Like you're going to use him more as a runner primarily, but if you wanted to, if you wanted to split him out, if you wanted to make him just a receiving back, you can. And yet he's big and he's strong. Um, and he can kind of do everything you need him to. I like running backs who can do everything. And if yeah. you don't have one of those guys or multiple of those guys, then you need to find a group of three guys who each one excels at doing one specific thing, but can also do some of that other stuff, right? I always go back to the 2017 Eagles who had that perfect combination yeah. of running backs where it was like really each good. one specialized at one thing, but they all could do everything. And that's why I, I think Aaron Jones can do everything and you have him with AJ Dillon. It's like a perfect marriage of having two really good running backs. Um, but I think on his own, just his own skill set. To me, Aaron Jones, I don't know how many other running backs are better than him. I don't see huge difference between him and Najee Harris, you know, or, or I think he's just a little beefier than Alvin Kamara. So I had him higher than most, but I've also been a huge Aaron Jones fan. You have been. You Is have he been. on your list? Me? Yeah. He's my number 11. Number 11. He's, oh. he's just outside. And, he's, and well, uh, he was the hardest. <laughs> I had him at 6 to 11. It's a quick – this grouping, you guys got to understand. To do the, to Everyone listening – Think about, all right, the top five we all just talked about. Now think about the next five after that, six through ten. Next next four out. Up with. It's <laughs> really, first four really out. hard. And even yeah. our top fives are all different. Like two of the guys you had in top fives were like not yeah. in my top five, or at least for like Najee and then, you know, Christian McCaffrey. Like it's a much harder exercise than you think it is. It know? is. And you'll see why differently. But but I think it's a good point. So my number five, you know, as guys don't mind me jumping to the next guy, is, no, is Dalvin do. Cook. Mm. So I had Dalvin at five because of the fact that I've been in love with this guy since college, to be honest. I, I knew when he came out, I love this dude. And his rookie year, he didn't crush it. And then the year after that, he took off. and Just changed his number to his college number. <laughs> there it is. That's all that matters sometimes. But no, seriously, I think he he's a guy who he runs like a bat out of hell. I love the way he runs. Um, he accelerates. like I think he may have, out of this whole list, maybe he's definitely top three in acceleration. If you could judge that somehow, I wonder what his 10 yard split is in the 40, but it's, he, he is one of those guys that just takes off. And I love the way he runs. He's got a pretty big body for how quick he is. Uh, and that's why I have him at five. I think you put him in any situation, you handle the ball in stretches, even up the middle, he can handle it mostly. Now he has that injury issues, Jeff, to your point. So I, I imagine on your list, he's lower, but, uh, to me, he's, he's a five. I do need to do a quick due diligence here. I, uh, Najee Harris is my five. Aaron Jones is my sixth. Um, okay. Sorry. That okay. was, I had already said that, but, but that we, were already, we were already moving down to the next yep. spot anyway. Um, I had Dalvin 
uh, Cook at seven next okay. on my list, like right after that. Um, Dalvin Cook is he's a stud. He's mm-hmm. he, there's nothing to not like about him other than the injury history. That's right. It. He's he's had a major knee injury. Um, he got banged up a few times last year. I think he only the groin, playing, I think he the ankle. In, yeah, yeah. I think he only played in like eleven games last year. But when he plays, he's uh, as good as any running back in the NFL. And again, guy who can do him and him and Aaron Jones to me are like very very similar players yeah yeah like they're Agreed. both built the same way they're both explosive they both can catch the ball the backfield i would actually give some of the physical traits to um dalvin cook yeah. in terms of just strength and, and speed but not by that much and that's why the injury history was enough for me to put aaron jones just a little bit ahead of him and just overall wear and tear um but no dalvin cook i no quarrels with with me having Dal- dalvin cook in number six where you got him scotty uh-huh. Agreed. I have him at seven. Uh, okay. He's Same an absolute yeah. stud. Yeah. I mean, look like, and again, it's the injury thing for me just because he's, it's every year it's a, a Nick here and Nick there. Um, and, and so that's, that's most of what it is. What I am looking forward to and the reports out of uh, camp and OTAs is that he's lining up in slots and, and uh, uh, like uh, trip wide uh, in receiver packages. So if he, Starts catching the ball more if he's more like a uh, Dude, a hybrid he, between Aaron Jones. If he gets a one on one on a corner <laughs> of a screen or a safety, Jesus age. Well, yeah. remember well, they the have problem is he has Kirk Cousins throwing to him, but yeah. Well, remember they have a we'll new head, they have a new head coach out there who yep. comes from the McVay tree, and mm-hmm. you know we think we saw a lot of that with like Todd Gurley as well. Todd Gurley would split out, and Todd Gurley would get a lot of carries behind the backfield, um, yep. but they used him a lot in the passing game. So I think that's that's a good comp. All right, Scotty, who do you have at number six? Number six, I have Austin Eckler. Ooh, wow. Yeah, dual threat, man. I, look, again, he's a pounder of a runner. He can run between the tackles. He's a smaller guy, uh, but but he he's proved uh, he's proved what he can do running the ball. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who's who's going to be on the stat line at like uh, maybe a thousand yards rushing, but he's going to be equally as good at receiving the ball out of the backfield too, uh, which is huge with Justin Herbert. Plus, they upgraded their offensive line. Which was already good last year. So uh, the the nicks and bangs and bruises that he got last year that kept him out for a few games. Uh, thank you, Justin Jackson, for saving my fantasy life last year. Uh, but uh, but Austin Eckler is is a premier back, and I and I think he's only trending upward. He is not on my list. Um, I I love Austin Eckler. I think if we're talking fantasy, I think he's probably a top three, top four guy in fantasy. The only the only reason, honestly, is the injury history combined with the size um, and, and the consistency of it. You know, um, I, I think is there a world where Austin Eckler is a top ten running back this season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think a lot of what you're Play doing, six. like a lot of the way that you have them, I, I laid this out, Scotty, is similar to how when we do our fantasy rankings, right, where we're putting into context the offensive line the offense, the quarterback, everything else involved. Um, if you just put Austin Eckler on a bunch of different teams, I, I honestly, I don't know how effective he would be. I don't know if he would be much more than, a, you know, a, a solid starter and a really good third down back for a lot of teams. I have him at 11. Like I have him right on the outside looking in, or at least in that group of that honorable yeah. mentions. Um, I don't know exactly where I would have him under there. I think top 15 is fair for him, but if we're talking about every down back. We're talking about skill set, size, all that stuff. And then you factor in the injury history. He's been in the league for five, six years. He's got wear and tear. Um, I just couldn't put him in my top 10. As much as I, I do love Austin Eckler, I'm a huge fan. Um, to me, he's just not in the top 10. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think he'll end top 10 in fantasy easily, top five yes. maybe. But I, I personally think that if you switch some other res, 
other running backs into his situation, they would do as well, if not better. Yeah. Um, and we'll hit right. some of those guys here in a minute. Vito, you are uh, that we have our sevens. Who is your number seven? Have we mentioned it yet? Uh, yeah. Na- Najee Harris. So, so Najee Harris. All right. My, so now we're on to number eight. Yes. And, and if you wouldn't mind, I'll, I'll throw out my eight, which probably is a guy who maybe I don't think you guys have on your list is Saquon Barkley. If you're talking about athlete, about actual measurables and, and how good they can be. I think you take him out of the fucking giants and he crushes it. I think this guy is, is a really great running back. He obviously has a speed. He has a vision. He has a quickness. Um, he has a break tackle ability at one point, you know, his rookie year, his second year, he had one of the most broken tackles, uh, the most broken tackles in the NFL. There, there are some great stats around him, but the problem is I, I do believe that he's in a situation where he is keyed on and he has been since he entered the league. Um, I think if you put him in some of these other situations like Aaron Jones, like Austin Eckler, he crushes it. Now I understand the criticism and I also understand why you can easily portray me as a Homer because he's a Penn state legend. I've just seen this guy in real life. And I think that in both in college and NFL, he's one of the best people I've ever seen. And uh, so I have him at eight in terms of running back ability and skill. Vito, hold up. Let me, um, I got to go through my desk real quick because we haven't broken these out in a while. Let me get my, uh, oh yeah, my, my Penn State colored sunglasses out there. for you. Let me, let me get these out for you here. Oh, okay. Now, now that I have them on, I now can you see. see. I now can you see. see. He's probably okay. low, right? He's not probably not top low. 10? Not top yeah. 10? Top 10. Yeah, I'm going to tweet out 10. the picture of you not wearing 10. a Penn State jacket, by the way. Uh, but I know he's not in your top 10, Jeff, but he's in mine at number 10. Okay. Uh, because of because of what I, I know he can do with a good offensive line, the Giants upgraded their offensive line this year, and you put him in any system where he has a good offensive line, he's going to be an absolute monster. Plus what he can do out of the backfield. The only reason I dropped him, uh, catching the ball, rather, sorry, out of the backfield is what I meant to say. Um, and the only reason I dropped him to 10 is because this to me is going to be the Giants have a new coaching staff. Uh, they know what they've got in their receiving core. They know what they've got in Saquon Barkley. This is a prove-it year for for Daniel Jones, uh, and so. Okay, but do we know, do we know what we have in Saquon? Honest, yes, we do. Honest, he's, honest he's an elite no, no, superstar. No, no, no. He's gotten injured. No, but, but after but the injuries, that is the point, Scott. We don't know what we have in Saquon right now. We know what we had in Saquon three years ago. We know what we had in Saquon coming out of the draft. And that is something I will never argue because Saquon was arguably the most terrifying player in the NFL. As an Eagles fan who had to face him two times a year, nobody Mm -hmm. scared me more than Saquon Barkley. But the ACL injury was huge. Another year where he played half the season banged up. I don't think we can say we know that Saquon is still that player. As a fan of football and a fan of him as a person, I really hope we do because when he's right. right, he should, if he's right, he could be number one on this list. But the thing is after two years of this, it's the same thing I said about Christian McCaffrey, same thing I've said about Michael Thomas. Why I don't understand why anybody talks about Michael Thomas anymore. Cause we haven't seen him do anything in two years. I cannot say that I know anything about the version of Saquon we see right now. And I hope again, I hope, that we do not as an Eagles fan, as a football fan, as an Eagles fan, I hope we never see right. Saquon Barkley again, but as, an, as a fan of football, as a fan who, of somebody who, who appreciates greatness in the sport, Saquon I, at his peak was more terrifying than anybody in the NFL. And I hope we see that again, but I, I don't think, think to your point, there's too many other players that I can't, I can't even have them in the top 10, maybe not even the top 15. 
So for me, I think I'm, I'm looking at it as, Hey, this is the upside. You for put sure. him in a better situation. I'm, I'm, I'm all upside on Saquon where I'm not an Aaron Jones. So I think it's a fair, like, this is where the homer, this is where the bias comes in. Everyone has something. It's hard to cut it all out. For sure. And for me, I think that's why I have him. And, and you'll see where my biases lie in nine and 10 as well. <laughs> yeah. No, I, again, Saquon, Saquon's upside is. <laughs> I know a certain other NFC he's running back that'll be on the floor. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Saquon's upside, again, is could be top three on this list. But if we know one thing about the NFL is that the shelf life of running backs is very short and he's had two years in a row. And honestly, the only reason I even have Chris McCaffrey on this list, given the same history concerns and everything, which again, I had him at eight is because I've just seen more of it from Chris McCaffrey. And then when he did play last year, he was great. When Saquon played last year, he wasn't. And I just, I, I can't now the one thing again, on the upside, they actually look like they've fixed at least somewhat fixed the offensive line and they're going to want to help Daniel Jones succeed as much as possible, but their offensive coordinator. And this is again, more of the fantasy thing, but just talking about this year, their Uh offensive coordinator is a guy who didn't really run the ball much in Buffalo. And I, I, I have a feeling they're going to try to throw the ball a lot. All right. Um, Number eight for me was Christian McCaffrey. Is your number eight? Have we said your number eight yet, Scotty? Yeah, it was Kamara. All right. So then let's move to number nine. Vito, you said you're, Homer glasses are coming out again. So who's number nine? Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders. I, think wow. I, I, I just really believe that this, if you looked at his yards per carry, if you looked at some of what he did, I think we're all on board. Like this guy just didn't get enough of the ball last year. I mean, he did a great job in his first two years of the right. He's in his third year. Is that correct? This will fourth. be his fourth year. Fourth year. Okay. He, he has absolutely crushed it on the Eagles so far when he's gotten the ball. And I think when you look at what he's done, and this, this offense that they have, um, and, and again, I think you put him on any team, he does incredibly well. I really do believe in his talent. I also believe in, in to, to almost Scotty's side, uh, what he is going to do this year in this offense. Now that you have A.J. Brown, now that you have you know Jalen the second year running the offense. I, I just think all over, Miles Sanders is going to have a trending up year. I really believe that. I think this is his year that may be the best in his whole career. I'm just so high on Miles Sanders to where in a fantasy draft, I'm definitely going to make sure I end up with him. Um, I'll see you guys on, on our draft, uh, you know, Take later him. this latest fall. Uh, I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, I know draft with, Eagles. With, with Jalen Hurts, it's <laughs> tough for an Eagles fan, but in the talent side, let's remove him again from the Eagles. I think he's one of the most talented guys out there. I really do yeah. believe that, that he's elite again for me. He's in the conversation with Josh Jacobs with all these other guys, I, I think he's as talented in different ways, but his speed and shiftiness and ability to catch and ability to break tackles is up there with, with the top 10 guys in the NFL. I, I, I don't have an argument with that. Um, zero touchdowns last year. Couldn't find the end zone. Um, but you look at some of the advanced numbers, I believe he's like one of either three guys with the amount of carries that he has um, in his career that has averaged over five yards a carry. Exactly. which is an insane and number the, the um, 20 plus carries too isn't is off the chart yeah um he just doesn't you're right he hasn't gotten the ball especially last year he didn't get the ball a lot but I, i'll also say this there's some mental stuff with him where it's hitting the hole dancing too much in the backfield um you know he's had like three or four like 80 yard touchdown runs so the 
yard in, yard out, carry in, carry out stuff with Miles and the averages, I think can be slightly. I don't want to say that they're inconclusive or that they're not necessarily representative because I do think he's a great talent. Um, I'd have him in that like 15 to 20 range. Um, I don't, I wouldn't have him that high, but the talent is there. There was no question. I just mm-hmm. want to see him commit a little bit more and, and just, Hey, if nothing else is there, I'm going to go get three yards. Right. But he's smaller and isn't as compact Has had some injury problems. And I think he's a little hesitant to do that sometimes. So that's, it's kind of the only downside I have with miles as much as I do love him yeah. um, from a fantasy perspective. And we're going to do a fantasy preview at some point. Oh yeah. He's, he's not, he's no. not someone I'm drafting the fans. I, I would like to take him, but I know he's there late. That's why if he's if he's your RB three or your flex guy, yeah, flex. I like that. Right. Um, and that's probably where he'll end up going here. All right. Um, my nine is the guy who finished third in rushing last year, which is Joe Mixon. Um, yeah, a whole lot of Joe Mixon over the years, concerns with injuries and everything else. We saw he stayed healthy for the first time. He was unbelievable for the Bengals. You know, we talk about all how great all those wide receivers were in Joe Burrow, and we never talk about how good Joe Mixon was. Joe Mixon was a stud, was a massive part of that offense last year, and behind a terrible offensive <laughs> line, catches the ball great out of the backfield, and physically he looked different last year. He put on a little extra weight. He built, put on some muscle, um, and I think that ultimately helps him stay healthier. So uh, Joe Mixon, after what he did last year, I would absolutely be willing to roll the dice on him, even knowing the injury history, which is why I have him a little bit lower. But the dude had 1,300 yards. He caught another 500 through the air. Um, it's hard to argue with that. And yet we just don't talk about him because, you know, we know his injury history as fantasy players. Scotty, who's your number nine? Or have we said it already? Uh, we said it. It was Aaron Jones. Uh, Mixon is on my OLI list outside looking outside in. Looking in. Yeah. All right. But it was well, that, clo- it was it was very very close. Yeah. Well, then let's wrap up here with our number tens. Vito, we'll start with you. Who's number ten? Javante Williams. I mean, this kid is fucking special, man. I mean, coming into Denver, uh, look at look at his ability and how he runs. If you look at his top runs of last year, there are a lot of defenders around him, but the first two to three guys never bring him down. So if he if he has a great line, we have some great downfield blocking from receivers. Uh, and you know our line can get to the second level get in front of some linebackers i think he's elite i think you put him on teams that run the ball a lot we're talking like tennessee um even even you know even la rams i i think he runs a lot better from their line last year i think you put him you know behind some of these folks um and he absolutely dominates i really love him and i think he's poised for a huge second year jump um uh, both in and just skill, like I said, if you remove him from every situation, also in fantasy, I think he's going to be great. Again, we didn't re-sign. Um, oh my God, how am I forgetting our boy's name from San Diego? Melvin, Melvin Gordon. Gordon. Thank you, Melvin Gordon. So it's it's really his show, and I'm really excited to see what happens there. Um, I, I think he's going to absolutely blow up, and and I think he's a top ten running back as well as top ten fantasy running back. I have him at number ten as well, Vito. Let's fucking go! Wow. Oh. I, look, I, he was my number one running back coming out of that class last year, yeah. which had a bunch of I mean, him and Najee. It was hard not to say Najee. Right. But like, I wouldn't say I had him number one. I had him as like Najee's the obvious number one, but then who is the guy after that? And Javante Williams, I fell in love with at North Carolina. I love his physicality, his ability to break tackles. Um, he had 900 yards and he was splitting time, you know, but it's actually crazy when you Melvin Gordon and him, they each had 203 carries last year and they both had over 900 yards. And I think 
this year, uh, you know, I'll, or sorry, Javante Williams is going to have a chance playing with Russ. Um, it's going to open some stuff up for him. Like you said, they didn't bring back Melvin Gord. So he's going to get a lot more touches, a lot more bites at the apple. I love Javante Williams. I love everything about the kid. I loved him last year. I wanted him on all of my fantasy teams. I just didn't foresee how many touches Melvin Gordon was going to get last year, which is ultimately the thing that kind of killed me. Um, but he's absolutely a stud. I'm with you 100%. Love, love, love Javante Williams. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Who you got, Scotty? He's, he's, he's in my – well, Saquon was my number 10, but they're, both those guys are on my, on my outside looking in. Uh, all right, would, are, are, so, you, you've so had a bunch I got of 11 to 15 looking. here too. Yeah. Well, we don't have to. I got, yeah. I mean, just get, cause you've already said a few of them. So who haven't we brought up here? Cause I have a uh, Javante, here, uh, Deandre, uh, first David Montgomery, who's an absolute mm-hmm. premier back. Uh, and, and I know he's got, he's got a shit offensive line there in Chicago, but even what he's done without, with that terrible offensive line has been nothing short of miraculous. Uh, I like I've got him on the like. outside looking in. I've got DeAndre Swift on that list because I because he's well. a dual threat uh, uh, out of the backfield as well. And, and I slid Zeke down. I think he's still got to be in that conversation uh, just yeah. because of the talent level. Not for me. The only guy we haven't mentioned I had at twelve was Josh Jacobs. I, I, it was yeah. really hard for me. He was to, close to too. not put him in the top ten. I think for me, he's a guy who you put on any team, he's going to run hard. I think it's maybe just because he's from Bama and. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I can't pinpoint it, but I fucking love that guy. And I'm scared that he's in my division. See, I think the Josh Jacobs thing for me is I'm the opposite only because I feel like I've been burnt from him in, in fantasy and stuff. Okay. <laughs> I do. I do like Josh Jacobs. Um, I just, I think he's in that like 15 to 20 range. Um, the two guys, I DeAndre Swift as well. I did have Austin Eckler. And then one that is not going to be on this list, I alluded to it earlier, but I still think if he was on another team, just I, I think he would be a freak because we saw it is Kareem Hunt. Um, Kareem Hunt, you know, we, yeah. we saw what he did in Kansas City, dude. Like he was the best running back in the NFL for two years before all the, the legal stuff happened with him. And um, and I just I still believe in it. Like when he has the ball in his hands, he's the most vicious runner in the NFL. He catches the ball better than most players in the NFL. He's got breakaway speed. He's feels like he's he's one of those guys that feels like he's running reckless but it's still under control you know and I think that's just a really rare attribute in running backs and then the last one I had on my list is Damian Harris um you know finished top 10 in rushing last year playing for New England just a really physical downhill runner I don't think he was good enough to be top 10 on my list uh in terms of guys but when you factor in like a dude who can be just a really every down back or at least two to three, you know, down back. I think Damian Harris would be on the top of most teams wish lists. Um, and I'll even throw a little love to your guy, Elijah Mitchell, Mitchell. Cause when he was in, he was fantastic. Antonio Gibson probably deserves a little bit of love as well. Um, who's the, he, uh, who's the best rookie out of this class that you think could ooh. eclipse that list next year? This was, a I would pretty, go Brees Hall. <laughs> I think Brees Hall is going to get the most opportunity. Um, that's a really good question because this was a pretty weak running back class. Um, man, Damon Pierce, like <laughs> Isaiah I mean, Spiller. It's hard, it's I hard think not to say Kenneth Walker, right? Because yeah. I mean, Kenneth Walker is going to show up in Seattle and be the ever down back right away. Yeah, um, I think so. James Cook and um, Zaire White, both those guys. Um, but I love uh, James Cook. I mean, dude. Brian, where did Brian Robinson end up getting drafted? Because he was awesome at Bama. He could be another one of those um, guys. Did he end up even getting drafted? Yeah, he was. He was in the third round. 
uh, by the Washington Commanders. So he's probably not going to see the field much. Maybe as he might be like a compliment guy with Antonio Gibson. So he probably won't be on that list. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I don't think there's any running backs in this year's class. I think if there's one, it would be Kenneth Walker. And we're talking about it like we talked about Najee Harris this year, where yeah. it's just he gets an insane workload, gets, you know, 400 touches um, and puts together a thousand yard season and catches some balls too. But um, I, th- I think it's just a really weak, uh, just as a whole, just a really weak class. Maybe Tyler Batty. He went to um, Baltimore, right? So just another guy in that arsenal and, and who knows what happened. I mean, the running backs that they made look, you know, competent over the years is ridiculous. Um, all right. That's all we got. Um, I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Thank you always as listening. Got a couple other interviews lined up here over the next few weeks. Hopefully Ben Hartsock talking with uh, Jacob Hester as well. Longtime NFL running back with uh, San Diego, as well as your Denver Broncos. Um, and with both of them, right. we'll get some, we'll get some Peyton Manning stories and some good stuff. So hopefully both of them will get on here. I feel very good about Ben. Ben and I were, we just got to hammer out a date at a time. So, uh, for the boys, hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the golf. We'll break it all down on the read option on Tuesday. And as always, take it easy.